Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So, Jimmy, we often say in radio, we got a loaded one today. And, you know, that there's different variations of that, right? But today is absolutely a loaded day. Loaded, right? It's massive, not just nationally with all the news that's broken the last 24 hours, but locally with some big figures in the Colts organization finally having their end-of-season availability. So let's get this right off the top. Good afternoon to you on a Thursday. My name is Jake Query. That is Jimmy Cook. This is Query and Company on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Eddie Garrison, who celebrated his three-year anniversary yesterday, is... Four year, he tells me. They told me yesterday three, Eddie. They told me three. I said three or four. I said three or four. Corbin led me astray. Four. Now, here's the thing, Eddie. I am one person who is not going to ask you when you're getting married because you know what? That will be when you are ready to do so. I will say to you the same thing I tell everyone else. Um, If I am lucky enough to get some sort of deal cut with a jewelry store nearby that that would certainly help but uh i would like to pay for that thing in full up front and not have to worry about you know payments you know and chuck e cheese with interest tickets. oh that's right and work on your skee ball skills <laughs> there's um, that and you know there's ring pops i can do that as well all right fair enough uh last night the pacers eddie was there for his anniversary beating the washington wizards we will talk about that over the course of today uh nick saban retiring from the university of alabama and all kinds of names being floated around as to who could be the next coach of the Crimson Tide. And just when you thought within a 24-hour period that that meant the finest coaching career in football was coming to an end within one establishment or one place, then you find out that today Bill Belichick is out, as we thought was a possibility in New England. So you have Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick among those who – Their coaching tenures have come to an end. In Belichick's case, I think he would like to continue coaching. There's speculation of Atlanta, for example, where he could end up. Nick Saban's case, I think, quite frankly, I don't know this. I'm not saying anything original, but I think basically Nick Saban thought between transfer portal, NIL, everything else, like, I'm good. Uh, You know, I've won, what, nine SEC titles, six national titles, like, I'm cool. Bill Belichick's like, I've won nine AFC titles, six Super Bowl titles with New England, uh, let's see what I can do in Atlanta or the Chargers or wherever it may be. So you're saying that Saban's scared of the expansion? What's that? You're saying that Saban's That's scared right. of the playoff That's expansion? Right. I'll tell you what, he just <laughs> knew when I went to 12, he could roll Todd, they can't do it, War Eagle. We had an upstage off yesterday with coaching retirings slash well, you're not kidding. Uh, evolving It, it of literally positions. did go kind of up, right? It's like you had Pete Carroll, yep. and then a few hours later, Saban, it's like, okay, and then... You know, Belichick, I think Saban, obviously it's different because even though I know he coached Miami, I mean, he's a college coach, but Saban probably uh, of the three is the one with the most hardware for all intent and purposes. I, You know, I realize that Belichick is interesting to me because it does kind of feel like the the Tom Brady, you know, his record without Tom Brady is totally different than with Tom Brady. And how much of that is... Brady, how much of that is just in unison? How much of that is simply he needed a veteran to guide his, you know, who knows? There's a million things that go into that. Clearly, Belichick is one of the great coaching minds in the history of the National Football League, if not the greatest. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I saw a clip from Bill Belichick um, 
today where he was asked a while ago, he was asked about, it was just in the middle of a, a weekly, you know, they're getting ready to play the, the Jets. And a guy says, hey, Bill, I hate to ask this. I know it's a little off subject, but I'm curious, like the long snapper position, when did it come to be that that's a position that you have a sp- that, that is taken up by a specialty as opposed to somebody on the roster who just knows how to do it? And Belichick's eyes light up and he goes, you know, it's a great question. And let me tell you about special teams and specialties of it. And he went on for nine minutes and 36 seconds with the history of special teams and gunners and punters and kickers and why they are specified positions as opposed to the Tom Tupas of the world that could do two. And it was fascinating. But the point being, it was a guy that clearly just knew off the top of his head and was ready to openly discuss and have fun talking about an anecdotal part of football history, which was fascinating. Great football mind, and we'll see who he ends up next. But in terms of today for the Indianapolis Colts and the NFL, as it relates to you folks listening, you want to know about where the Colts are headed. You want to know what things Chris Ballard thinks are priorities for the franchise, what players disappointed or or fulfilled his expectation for this year worry not because in just under 30 minutes we're going to go live to the Colts complex courtesy of Colts.com but we are going to go live and carry for you live the press conference of Chris Ballard as he answers questions about his thoughts on the season he will be sitting in a seat on a podium that was just recently vacated by quarterback Anthony Richardson who did his end-of-year press conference and met with the media really for the first time in expansive role in in mass since the rookie quarterback out of the University of Florida and the first-round pick of the Colts went out with season-ending injury. He began by talking about, did Anthony Richardson, there's that rookie season where you come in, there is so much promise and expectation, the keys are handed over to you, the wheel is put inside your hands, and you are told, go out and let's see what we can do. And then in Anthony Richardson's case, you had multiple injuries. You had an ankle injury. You had the concussion when he kind of held up when he was going into the end zone and got hit. And then, of course, the one that ended it, which was the shoulder surgery that ultimately led to having to sit out because of the surgery on the shoulder. So the question for Anthony Richardson that he was asked right off the top, how would you assess what you were able to learn by not playing but watching in your rookie season. You know, just sitting back and learning from Garner and Coach Shane and just being in the building a lot. You know, it definitely, you know, taught me a lot of things this year. So uh, I'll say it was was a good rookie, rookie season for me. Now, in terms of that surgery, there was a lot of speculation at the time that Anthony Richardson was going to have surgery as to whether or not it was the right call. If you remember... And, of course, we certainly know in this town when it comes to quarterbacks, the history of surgeries on shoulders and subluxations and things like that. In Anthony Richardson's case, you had to weigh out the options of do you sacrifice your season and just sit and wait and do a surgery that means that you're probably never going to have this issue again? Or do you wait it through, let it naturally heal, and just assume that it doesn't get any worse and take – the reps, and continue to learn as the game unfolds before you on the fly. Those are the things that he had to weigh out. Anthony Richardson on what went into the decision and the, in retrospect, thought on the decision to have season-ending surgery. Of course I was hesitant. You know, I didn't want to... 
get the surgery at first. I didn't want to be out for the season, you know, because rookie season, first year, I wanted to play. You know, I wanted to be out there with the team, and you know, uh, this injury kind of set me back a little bit. But you know, after talking to you know training staff and getting different opinions from different doctors and talking to my agent and my family, you know, they said long term this was the best thing for me to do. You know, because if I did try to go out there and play again, I probably wouldn't be able to throw it. You know, only just run, and I don't want to just run the ball. I want to throw it too. So uh, that was probably the best thing for me to do is get my shoulder fixed up on. Now here's the thing, Jimmy. If you recall with Andrew Luck, and I say Andrew Luck because he was the last franchise quarterback that started from the ground up in Indianapolis, and he was similar to Anthony Richardson in the fact that his size and his mobility were unique. And in the case of Andrew Luck, what did we always hear about Andrew Luck that was the one negative about him, Jimmy? If there was one negative you had to say about Andrew Luck that was the most often critiqued about his infield decisions on plays, what would it have been? The two that come to mind for me was either holding onto the ball too long or being too physical at times. Bingo, right? And not learning how to slide. Remember people like, he needs to go over to, the, to Victory Field and have the Indians teach him how to slide. <laughs> and Didn't the Indians tweet about that too? If I, I think remember they correctly. Did. They did something like just to play on the bit. And, and putting him in, putting his body in position to, to get injured, to take those hits and, you know, trying to get that extra yard. Ryan Grigson will be the first to tell you that it drove Ryan Grigson crazy because, you know, the 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 line, for example, of the Colts was so maligned, and that was an area that Ryan Grigson took such a pride in building. But Ryan Grigson also is like, yeah, but like I, I realize that people want to come after me because the quarterback was always hurt. But part of that was because he was get, he was going that extra one percent where he needed to back it out of there, right? Anthony Richardson is similar to that. Here's a big guy, physical guy, strong guy, can run the football. And the narrative on Anthony Richardson, both as a Florida Gator and through camp and from Colts fans, and maybe there's a little bit of PTSD from Andrew Luck, but Anthony Richardson, the question for you now, after sitting out with three different injuries in your rookie year and one that ultimately led to you watching from the sidelines for the rest of the season, do you need to change the style and the aggressiveness with which you play? No, I don't think so. You know, uh, it's just a matter of me just just being out there and just learning when to get down, when not to get down. You know, some of the injuries were unfortunate. You know, like my ankle getting stepped up on, uh, hitting my knee on the turf really hard. You know, just stuff like that. You know, stuff that I can't control. Uh, but the ones that I can't control, you know, I got to prevent those. You know, like me slowing up uh, near the end zone, getting the concussion. You know, that was completely on me. And then, you know, uh, getting tackled, you know, I couldn't really prevent that. You know, I was trying to brace myself for it. And just, unfortunately, my shoulder just, you know, did what it did. But I don't think I have to change the way I play, you know, just being a little smarter when the time does come. The one thing that I thought, Jimmy, and Eddie, I think you touched on this as well. He did seem, and part of it's it's the offseason. So it's a little bit different in terms of everything that goes into a press conference like that uh, feels different. But he did seem Anthony Richardson more just composed, I thought, and like collected, if you will. Like he just seemed a little bit more at ease with everything than normally, I think, in the past he has seen, he has been. Maybe that's just 
over the course of the year, he's had a chance to kind of sit back and let things slow down a little bit, right? Well, on top of that, you're able to contemplate along with putting in the mental side of the game and learning the day-to-day operations of being an NFL quarterback further while not being able to get the reps. That is definitely part of the equation for him. But on top of that, for me, the way he answers that question, I don't think it's lost on him that there needs to be modifications. It's the word change that I think gets him tight, that gets Colts fans, that gets myself kind of tight and frustrated with that word because you don't want to take away what makes him special, which is his dynamic ability to both take down an offense as a runner and as a thrower. And when you say the word change, it sounds like you want him to totally redefine what he does. I don't think that's what needs to happen with Anthony Richardson in year two. It's more of fine-tuning his whole operation, and he addresses some of that. Right, He kind of answers that and concedes there are some areas to modify things, not necessarily falling the right way, but timing things better and maybe not being as aggressive as he has been in the past. That is important awareness for a player that is going into his second season, but I also think it's important to recognize that I don't think he needs a full overall with how he plays because if you do that, you're not getting the player that you drafted in the first place. And, of course, the key in a rookie season for any young player, for any player in sports really or in any walk of life is you want to try to maintain a truth of who you are versus changing entirely in terms of your approach your mindset and just your being Anthony Richardson on trying to just stay true to Anthony Richardson through year one you know uh, staying true to myself you know that's what that's what got me here you know uh, the way I played that's what that's what got me to this level so I don't want to you know get to this point and try to switch it up and try to change you know because the people in this building they, they wanted me to be to be me you know so me trying to change that you know, I don't think it would really benefit you know us you know in the long run you know, of course I can be smarter from time to time but you know just playing the way I play you know that's why they, they they got me on this team that's why they want me on this team you know so I just you know like I said just be smart but you know don't don't try to change anything at all for Anthony Richardson later went on to show a very clear enthusiasm about Jonathan Taylor uh, now that he's kind of seen what he can do, and then Michael Pittman as well. We'll get to some of that over the course of the show today. But about 15 minutes from now, we're going to go out to the Colts Complex. Everybody gla- grab your flat-brimmed hat. We're going to listen to Chris Ballard. We'll do that just about 15 minutes here on a very busy Thursday. Query Company, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi there, how are you? Hope you are enjoying the last of the sunshine before Valentine's Day. <laughs> Did you guys hear it's supposed to be 40 below on Saturday? Have you heard that? No, I've not heard that. Oh, yeah. I have not. 40 below, baby. Like, just go ahead now. Let's Just like Minneapolis, plug your car in. Keep it warm. 40 below what? Uh, <laughs> 40 below 20. It's going to be 20 below, actually. Okay. No, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but I think it is supposed to be subarctic uh, wind chills like this weekend. And I will say this only 74 times between now and then. And I know that there's always like the one guy that's like, no, I'm a tough guy. And da, da, da. look, if you've got pets, please bring them in. Okay. I know that the, well, they're animals. They're, they're custom. To, no. Even Siberian Huskies are like, come on, man. Can I just get a, a heater, please? 
Uh, big news today, of course, Anthony Richardson talking to the local media. Chris Ballard is going to do exactly that. Just we anticipate under 10 minutes from now, as soon as the Colts general manager goes to the podium, we will take you. You don't even need to get I wherever you are right now. If you're in Greenwood, you don't even need to get it on 65 North. You're in Zionsville, no need to travel 421 South. You're in Brownsburg, don't even think about getting on 74 or Ronald Reagan, none of it. You don't need any reason other than right in the comfort of your radio to go out to West 56th Street with us, which is exactly what we're going to do. That's like basically our Thursday road trip. Our Thursday road trip today is taking us right across West 56th Street, brought to you by our good friends at AAA. And of course, AAA.com, Hoosier Motor Club, always on call. 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. AAA is there for you, whether you got a dead battery, whether it's the submarket, big this time of year. Critically important this time of year because of the course of the fact that you go out and you're like, oh man, the, the battery's dead. Or the You ever notice you're, you get flat tires easily this time yeah, of year? Yeah, by the like way, the- that's what I wanted to... People of Indianapolis, be careful out there. Pothole season has arrived. I've seen more and more on the commute to work trying to dodge them and Look out, make sure that I'm not having a rough start to the work day. Don't let that be you. AAA can help. Just wait a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. If you're Mark Boyle and you get a flat tire every other Tuesday, no problem, right? Uh, I can vouch for the savings, by the way. AAA membership practically pays for itself. Matter of fact, it does pay for itself over the course of the year because uh, it's worth its weight in gold when you're on the side of the road, and AAA is there for you. Of course, they also have the ability to put together travel packages for you. AAA does travel as well. 844-GO-AAA-GO, or you can swing by your local AAA office anytime you're taking a road trip, whether you are going all the way to Florida, California, or simply over to West 56th Street. AAA is the road partner for you. Um, Jimmy, in terms of Anthony Richardson and the things that he had to say, you know, I think he said the right things, but I do think that as I had talked about, he felt a little bit more comfortable, more poised. One of the things that he was asked about um, is that of Michael Pittman. And Michael Pittman's obviously a critical piece. We're going to find out from Chris Ballard, hopefully, just on where you know the thought process is on Pittman itself. But certainly, if you're Anthony Richardson, you want as many targets as possible. And Michael Pittman's entering into a critical era now with free agency, a critical period to see whether or not Pittman's been open about the fact that he's going to look and see what else is out there. But Anthony Richardson's thoughts on wanting to play with Michael Pittman and get a full season with the primary wide receiver. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, all of our weapons, you know, I would love to see the whole team back if if it was possible. But I know this this business is different. But, you know, God's willing, we we can get him back and we we can, you know, be on the road to get a Super Bowl. Now, along with that, the other player, that Anthony Richardson, and again, keep in mind, Anthony Richardson didn't get, you know, with Jonathan Taylor, I mean, he had to sit and watch, right? Because we go back to, to Grand Park, Richardson, the two big storylines in Westfield were Anthony Richardson going through his first camp and Jonathan Taylor missing out on that camp for the most part. And then once Taylor's out there, Richardson is watching him. So Anthony Richardson's thoughts on Jonathan Taylor, who, yes, maybe didn't get totally uncorked at any point completely this year but certainly finished strong. 
and Richardson was able to watch that and find out what he has in his dynamic backfield mate. Oh man, just watching him do what he does, do what he does, man, it's it's amazing. You know, I watch his highlights when I get home. You know, just watching him this last game, it was amazing because I can only just imagine myself in the in the offense with him. You know, opening up some things for him. You know, with my legs as well. But you know, it, uh, only time could tell. You know, so I'm excited to get get on my grind. You know, um, this is going to be a big year for all of us. So. You know, I'm definitely excited to you know start grinding and get back on the field so we can you know get, get those touches together. So Richardson knows that he's got some weapons, Jimmy, right? That's the bottom yeah. line. At minimum, that pairing of Jonathan Taylor and Anthony Richardson that we've been looking forward to for you know the better part of almost a year now in terms of it'll be that mark when April arrives, the day they drafted Anthony Richardson, and the idea of pairing those two together. But he's right about the want for Michael Pittman Jr., and a part of that, I get it. Chris Bauer is going to address this. I'm not expecting for him to reveal anything that's going to be revolutionary in terms of his comments. In fact, I'm probably expecting him to continue to talk up the wide receivers that he has on the depth chart. But I've always felt like the last couple of seasons, I don't trust Chris Bauer necessarily to build the proper weapons around Anthony Richardson. And I especially don't expect him to do it twice if they let Michael Pittman Jr. walk. That needs to be the paramount goal of the offseason. If you feel like you're going to get outbid, tag him and you can always negotiate for a long-term extension within that window, but by no circumstances can Michael Pittman Jr. be on another roster in 2024. You know, I feel like they're going to tag him, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's the play. Especially I mean, isn't that, isn't that the more economically wise thing to do, doesn't it feel like? Well, it protects yourself, one. Because if I'm not mistaken, franchise tag deadline and free agency are on two different timelines. You have to do one first before free agency opens. So if they're able to get that done, if they feel like there's any whispers that he's going to get $26, 27000000 million, you tag him, you have that secure that he's on the roster, and then after that, you can negotiate and roll with a potential extension for him. I was going to suggest here, Jake, that franchise tag window that Jake is talking about is uh, November 20th through March 5th. So if the Colts do not apply the franchise tag after March 5th. He is a free agent. See, I would think the interesting thing with the free agency of Michael Pittman is the fact that they can buy themselves time, it would seem. This is rare that this – like, I don't think players like to be franchise tagged, but in this case, the franchise – because he is a – he's right on the on the cusp, right, of that – in terms of like the ranking of receivers, because what is it? It's the average of the top is either top five or top 10 at that position. And I think Pittman is smart enough to know when it comes down to it, that a franchise tag isn't altogether a terrible thing for him because it's going to get him financially right in the ballpark of what he would be making anyway. Right. I mean, what would you guess if you were the agent of, of Michael Pittman, you're looking for how much per year? I mean, I have a number in my mind here. I think your starting point, your starting point is probably the tag. I'd say 25, 26 million. I would a year. say 25, right? And so if you start, if you want 25, then you start out with the request of 28. You say, like, look, I want a four year, you know, $112 million deal. And then you do that knowing that they're going to come down to say 25, right? There's two reasons players hate the tag. Either they hate their situation, they feel like they're trapped. Correct. Or they feel like they're not cared about and loved enough for a long-term contract. That they don't 
yeah. get appreciation well, from the organization that we believe it, in you for three years. It makes you it makes you have to basically audition all over Correct. again, yes. right? Because I would want a I would want the guarantee of the multiple year, three to four year deal, so that I know I'm getting all that money. I mean, if I, if I'm franchise tagged, I'm like, wait a minute, I, you mean I got to go through all this all over again? So, but in Pittman's case, I think he he. I think he's kind of resolved himself to the thought of, look, if I am tagged, it's not the end of the world because I'm at least getting in the ballpark of what I would be getting anyway. It's just it's for one year instead of – and then you worry about injury, drop off. I mean, what if Pittman – this is the one thing where I would has, have hesitation if a Pittman about the tag. <laughs> Financially speaking, I'd be okay with it, but I'm getting ready to go into it with a quarterback that I'm still not – totally feeling in symmetry with even though he just went through that with Minshew but if Michael Pittman's like look don't make me have an audition year for a f- even though this year he was going to have that anyway right but after what he did with Minshew now you're going to make me go back and play another year with another quarterback by like fourth quarterback in four years right at what point do you believe I know what I'm doing? You know what I mean? Yeah, at what point do you have enough faith to say, no, we understand that you are clearly a wide receiver one and we want to have you as the long-term plan with Anthony Richardson because their timelines do somewhat line up. On top of that, though, you brought up the injury risk. You're worried as a player that it's a de facto contract year when you get tagged and maybe you have drop-off from production. Or if you get injured, the team doesn't owe you anything. They're clean. They can be like, all right, we're not tagging you again, most certainly not with the increase in percentage of salary. Good luck in free agency. By the way, you know where it is going to be 20 below? Um, the Chiefs game, right? Yeah, it's not looking great from a forecast standpoint. What, what is the forecast there? Wind chill I've seen anywhere from minus 15 to minus 25. Would you go? Be honest. You're a Chiefs fan, right? I am. You were, you were okay, I want to know this from Colts fans. I want people to... And I want people to be honest. Okay? You can text me or you can you can tweet me. What is the the like what is the temperature where you'd say I'm I'm staying home? If if it was an open air stadium. If the Indianapolis Colts were playing in a divi- in a, a wild card round playoff game. And it was a wind chill and it was supposed to be windy the whole time. So basically a sitting temperature of 25 degrees below zero. I know there's people out there that are like, I'm a do- I'm not, you can't take my fanhood. Like, I'm the biggest fan out there. You can't test my fandom. I, I get it, right? But I really do want to know, at 25 below, deep down at its core, are there people that are like, look, I admit, I wouldn't go. Look, I'm I'm a Chiefs fan, but I'm also a spoiled Chiefs fan now. If this was the AFC Championship game, absolutely. So that's the thing, I've, right? I've so, been there. I've seen it. Like I, and you know what? That kind of felt, Jimmy. To be honest with you, with Indianapolis, I do think that that kind of with the Colts during the Peyton Manning era, that kind of did come into play. Where it was like, I remember, like when I was working, you know, like at Channel Six, for example. And it's like, well, it's a wild card round. I mean, you know, I mean, we always obviously covered all of it with the same the same level of all hands on deck. When the Chiefs beat the Colts a couple years ago at Arrowhead, it was their first home win in 
like since the 90s, since I'd been alive. I was there for that game. That had a special moment to it. I We drove through a snowstorm to go see that game. I would have gone there had it been, yeah, those temperatures, no problem. But now, once you've seen it and the trajectory of the franchise has changed, probably if it's an AFC Championship game, trip to the Super Bowl on the line, yes. Like it's wild if, card, if, no thanks. If the Colts had gotten in, and let's just say hypothetically the Colts had gotten a wild card this year, and let's say they had to go to Cleveland, and it was supposed to be 25 degrees below zero outside. How many people really, deep down, when it comes down to it, would have gone? I know there are people that would have, don't get me wrong. But aren't there some that even consider themselves the biggest Colts fan ever that deep down are like, I kind of hope my tickets fall through? Because wouldn't you rather just watch it 25 degrees below zero? Do you know how cold that is? I know. It's tough. Again, it would, the stakes have to be there. Wild card round... I'll stay in the comfort of my home. At what point? Okay, now when I say this, I'm really... And by the way, Chris Ballard going to talk here uh, momentarily. And as soon as he does take to the podium, we will throw it out to West 56th Street, part of our Thursday road trip, courtesy of, uh, courtesy of our friends at AAA. Um, the, is, there, is there a temperature where they would deem it to be unsafe? Yes, I mean, I feel like if you're... I mean, honestly, like, I know that there's the whole narrative of like, no... It, you know, NFL fans, it's it's football outside. But if lightning can force delay, are there temperatures, Jimmy, where yes. do we know? I mean, I I don't know what the protocol is, but I would gather that this is from let me make sure I'm giving a proper source. Um uh, a on air personality at Fox Sports sixty four in South Florida. They got sixty four channels there. <laughs> <laughs> the wind chill, I think it's radio. The wind chill in Kansas City Saturday night will be dangerously cold, the National Weather Service says. An NFL source told me yesterday there will be no scheduled change for Dolphins Chiefs. I don't know what the threshold is, but dangerously cold feels like so one way you might think about it. So this is obviously going to trump the Miami Dolphins having to go to Cincinnati. That was an AFC title game, granted. But, you know, the, the, the famous, or excuse me, the San Diego Chargers, I mean. The San Diego Chargers, when they had to go to Miami and they... They beat Miami in Miami and then had to go from Miami to Cincinnati for the 82 AFC title game. And they went from 70 degrees to like 15 below or 18 below. So for the Dolphins, it's the same thing. They're going to have to go from like 70 degrees in Miami, driving to work with the top down, to go play in 25 25 below. The stuff that I have read on the temperature makes it seem like it's not going to be as cold as like not the ice gonna bowl. Not going to be as cold. No, no, oh, I mean like below? I, mean, okay. I mean historic proportions, right? We're not having the ice bowl at Lambeau. But, yeah, but the ice bowl was like seven below. But right? I think based on the, I remember what the chart is, I don't have it in front of me, but of the top five coldest games ever, the ice bowl's in there. Okay, here's the thing. This is one of my soapboxes. I've never understood wind chill. Wind chill when they say, it's 18 degrees below outside, but with the wind chill, it feels like negative 40. If it feels like negative 40, it's negative 40. <laughs> because what is temperature? Only in those bursts. Only temperature in those bursts, is a numeric reading to give you a barometer as to what it feels like outside. What? So if it feels like negative 40, it's negative 40. It's only right? when you get hit by that big gust, you're like, oh, that felt 10 degrees colder there. Oh, wait, it's warm now. Yeah, I mean, exactly. If it feels like negative 40, it's negative. There's no feels like about it. I've never understood the feels like scale. So all you do, instead of saying a wind chill at negative 25, you say it's 10 degrees with tomorrow's weather is a fluctuation in temperature from 10 to negative 25. <laughs> okay. 
the whole like wind chill thing makes no sense to me. But you know it's cold when you go out and your nostrils freeze, right? Isn't that like the the end all be all? Yeah, that sounds pretty cold, Jake. I agree with you. Any part of the body freezing would be enough for me to say, yeah, that's pretty cold. Uh, Chris Ballard will go out there as soon as he comes to the podium. Your thoughts last night, Pacers whiz, Jimmy. Look, the Pacers have to stack wins right now. We know that it's likely the next six games that they're going to be without Tyrese Halliburton. And I'll be honest, I was a bit wary when they're down at half, but they come out in the second half, especially in that third quarter, outscore the Wizards 35 to 25. Their passing was far more efficient. They got a lot more open looks from beyond the arc. And they started to do exactly what you asked for, Jake, which is look at the Wizards as a six-win team. Realize there's no time to be playing with your food right now like you kind of did in Washington a couple of weeks ago or last month, whenever that was. And they got a much-needed victory to kind of stack, not the resume, because we know there's no committee or anything with the NBA playoffs. But when you look at what is going to be on the table for them with this road trip, Atlanta, Denver, Utah, Sacramento, Portland, Phoenix, you need as many wins as you can scrape by without Tyrese Halliburton out there, and you certainly can't afford to drop the last one to the lowly Wizards. So all in all, thought it was a great win, thought it was a great second half for the Pacers. And again, now you're trying to find, I don't want to put a full metric for what they need to do, but if they go two and three, or two and four, three and three on this road trip, I would be content. And speaking, by the way, of big road trips, we need to mention also, how about the Butler Bulldogs? Balanced attack yesterday. Thad Mata kind of making some tweaks to Butler's defensive efforts and getting a big, big, big road win and snapping the second longest home court winning streak at Marquette for Butler yesterday. That was a big one, Jimmy. When you were at the trajectory that Butler is at, 11-13 and right now on the season, and you're looking for where you're going to be able to find victories for the Bulldogs, you're hoping that it's going to... I'm sorry, I clicked the wrong bracket. That was from... (laughs) I got fooled by ESPN. When you're looking at Butler with where they are on the year, having just come off a matchup against UConn at home where you have that chance, you needed to see a closeout. They did it against Marquette. Chris Ballard has sat down over on West 56th at the Indiana Farm Bureau Insurance Colts football facility. Here's the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts. Issue so far, Eddie, from the Colts standpoint. Yeah, right? there's no audio coming from the press conference. Okay. Well, so, I can. Butler's 11 and 5 right now. I apologize. Uh, let's go down to Chris Ballard. At all time, but being connected and being a team, and that still wins. Still wins at every level. Um, watching guys sacrifice for each other, play for each other, encourage each other, even when it got, get a little hard and bumpy. Um, to watch them come together was, was fun. Um, and to be quite honest with you, even with the ending, probably was one of the more satisfying, fun teams to be around on a day-to-day basis. You know, even when we went through a little rough stretch there with three losses in a row, you know, they kept, they kept working. They kept battling. They kept fighting. Um, so that was fun. Um, I want to thank our, before we get started, I want to thank our fans. I can't say enough. They deserve um, for us to, to be playing right now. And it's hard because you don't, you don't want to let them down. And, you know, ultimately the last few years we have. But the atmosphere and Lucas Oil, I thought both for the Raider, I mean, the whole season was really good. But the Raider game and then this Houston game was incredible. It was, a, it was an electric feeling. It was, it was fun to watch downtown, you know, watch the people and how many people were down there. Um, 
and I, I can't thank them enough. And we're gonna get, we're gonna make them proud and, and get where we need to go. All right, fire away. Chris, you, you've had a, some time to get away from it. Do you balance what you overcame to get to nine and eight, or do you think about boy, look how close another player to we could have done? I, I think every season, like some, man, it's, I mean, it's hard to win in this league. I, I, and I think it's hard to win, you know, in college, pro, high school pros. It doesn't matter. It's hard to win. Um, and it's a – like I'm encouraged about where we're going. I'm disappointed, you know, that we didn't finish the, finish the deal. Um, and I think you can point to – like you can't just point to one game. There's multiple games that I thought we could have came out the other end and we just didn't. And then there's probably a few that we won. You know, most games come down to play here or there – you know, and do you make them or you, do you not make them? Um, so, you know, disappointed in that fact, but also encouraged. I mean, I'm encouraged where we're going. Chris, you said being a team again. Could you, you expand on that? I don't know. I mean, the, the yeah, I, I will. I wish I could put a, and I think we've talked about this in the past, but like, you know, we're nine and six, and I don't want to relive the past, but we're nine and six in 2021, and I think we're really good. I mean, we were on a pretty good roll there, and I, you know, from some point we, we just got disconnected, you know, and it, for whatever reason, and to watch these guys come back, you know, pretty determined to work together and play together, play for each other. That, and I'm not saying it was always in a bad way, but just for whatever reason, we just got a little disconnected. Some, some, my, some my fault, you know, with players we, we had in here. Um, but, you know, making sure you have the right type of people and guys on the team is, is critical. It's important. You took uh, kind of a cautious approach, I think, coming into the season for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. season, new coach, all that. Um, now, you have this kind of turnaround and promising future. I'm not saying you go crazy. And free agency or anything, but I don't know. Well, how will that inform how you proceed? No, I think we got more flexibility right now than we've had the last few years. Um, a little bit of that is, you know, we're not paying a quarterback big money anymore. Um, and so we're going to have some more flexibility. Um, and we'll do, you know, we'll always be prudent, but we'll be, we'll be a, as aggressive as we need to be in free agency with players that we think can help us. <laughs> And it's always um, it's always dicey. I think y'all y'all know this. Y'all see this. You're watching the league, okay? And and with free agency, it's not just about it's the you know it's the fit of the player into the locker room, um, and then you know whatever you're paying that player that he can earn and is worth the amount of money you're paying him. So it's a fine line. And then so after the season that you have had, what do you think is the next step? I mean, everybody says Super Bowl, right? But, I mean, logically, what, what do you think is next? Yeah, well, look, I mean, we should legitimately be, be competing for the division and playoff. I mean, that's our expectation. That's really our expectation every year. But, I mean, I think that is really possible here going forward. Um, you know, we had some injuries to some of these rookies um, that was a little frustrating, but they were all legit. Um, but we got a lot of young players playing time, um, and that's a good thing. And even with Anthony, because I know we're going to get into Anthony, um, you know, even with the injury to Anthony, like we don't, we don't know yet, 
but we're encouraged about what we saw. Um, let's don't crown him. Let's don't stamp him yet. I mean, we're not there. All right, we got a lot of work to do, and he has a lot of work to do. But it's encouraging. I think we were when he was playing. I think we were like tenth in explosive plays, and it's it's an area that I think on both sides of the ball we need to improve. We have to get more explosive um, on offense, and we have to be able to you know eliminate the explosives on defense. Um, but I think we're in the top ten of the league when Anthony was was playing. Expanding on that, what, what did you learn about Anthony, the player, the person, the leader, just in your time around him this year? It's been. He's a good. He's a good young man um, who has a lot to learn. And but he's. But here's what's. Here's what's good about it. About him. Very humble. And. He has empathy for other people. He cares deeply. Cares deeply about being the best player he can be, and he cares deeply about his teammates. Um, and he will work. And he's very gifted. Um, I'm going to tell you one of the things that really surprised me of Anthony because I was I was concerned about it. Um, but he this guy's a passer. I mean, I think you all put him into a you know we all kind of. Because here's this big, talented athlete. I mean, this guy's a legitimate passer, um, and I believe that. And I think he's going to continue to get better and improve the more, you know, the more he plays. But this guy can – I mean, Anthony can play from the pocket and throw the ball accurately. Um, now he just needs to play. I think sitting – you know, it's unfortunate, you know, but there's always a little light. And I think sitting – the ability to be able to sit and watch um, – is going to be beneficial for him in the, you know, going forward. What's the balance of him being able to have some little plays in the pocket, but also knowing he's a, he's explosive because of some of the running stuff too, and having to protect himself. And I guess to add on to that, he wasn't reckless from what we saw. So how do you balance that? It's a tough balance because you don't want to take away. It was a little like this with Andrew, where, you know, I'd tell Andrew like, I mean. Instinctively, when you get in a game, you react to whatever your instincts take you to. So to tell him, hey, look, you got to get down or you got to get out of bounds. Or Andrew would always tell me, like, Chris, my instincts and my competitive nature just takes over. Um, and I think the same thing happens with, you know, Anthony. I don't think Anthony's reckless by any stretch. I didn't think Andrew was either. I didn't think they're competitive. Um, but learning when when to to get out of bounds, when to get down versus when to go for it. Those are going to be things he's just going to have to learn. Like, I mean, it's almost the – and I think he learned versus Houston going in the end zone, you know, on the one touchdown run, you know, where he just relaxed for just a hair. And then next thing you know, he, he, he took a big shot going into the – going into the cost in the goal line. So those are things that, you know, he's just having to learn. Like in college, he could probably get away with that. He can't get away with that at this level. The guys are too big and fast. And, you know, until he crosses the goal line, they're going to strike. So it's just a learning curve with him. So, Chris, it seems like there's some stability here. Of course, you got your head coach, you got your quarterback in place for the future. Um, for you as the GM, does that? how much does that excite you? How much does it kind of – Take some weight off your shoulders as you move ahead and try to, you know, to get this team in the playoffs. <laughs> well, I mean, much different tone when we were sitting here a year ago and we didn't have either one of them. Um, 
look, let's, let's talk about Shane. Um, dialed in, always dialed in. Um, all ball, like I think I've told you all this numerous times, but let me tell you what's even more to me with him, what's more impressive. Like there's never a, there's never a lack of confidence or seed of doubt in his mind in what he's doing. And he sees the big picture. You know, this is not just a offensive coordinator that became a head coach who calls plays. No, he sees it all. Um, and that's, I mean, that's an impressive thing. Even after games, we go in and we're both emotional and but he's always got such great recall about what happened in all three phases and what we need to fix. Um, he's a tremendous problem solver, which I think is an important skill set for anybody in leadership positions to have. He's a tremendous problem solver. Um, and he's extremely demanding, not only of players, but also of staff, of all of us. I mean, he's going to press because he wants to win. He understands you know, what needs to be done, you know, what needs to happen to win. Um, it'd be fun to watch his growth even more, you know, after it's a whirlwind. Like the other day he told me, because Chris, I haven't had off really since, you know, he took a few weeks during the, you know, during the summer. But if you think back to it, I mean, he goes to the, you know, they play in the Super Bowl and then we're rocking and rolling. So he really didn't, this is the first real break he's had. So, and I think it'll be good for him. One, to just refresh a little bit, but also to reflect. Um, and it's going to be fun to watch his growth from year one to year two. Did you see growth in him even oh, this year? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just how certain games, how we played it. Um, Baltimore being a great example, knowing that we have a legitimate real kicker um, that can do some really special things. Um, and playing into the – and adjusting to how the game was being played. Um, I thought you saw that numerous times through the year, but I thought Baltimore was a great example of that. This is uh, Gus under contract for this coming season. Yes, he is. 28th in points allowed each of the last two years. What do you point to? Yeah, no, I, I mean, look, I mean, I know that's been a hot topic <laughs> for everybody. And, look, it's an area we have to improve. But, look, in a little bit of defense um, – you know, the year before he comes in and, you know, we kind of had a, I don't want to say a veteran team, but we had some veteran players. And then we, I just said, look, we're going to go young in some spots. And we went young in the secondary. And look, there were some, there were some rough moments at times in the secondary. And I don't completely put that on, on them. I put that more on, on me. Um, but, you know, how do you, how do you ever develop any continuity with, especially with your own guys if you don't just play them. So I decided to go young. We took our lumps, took our lumps at times, but I think it's going to pay off down the line for them. I think we had five or six new starters on defense. Um, we did do some good things now. It's not like it was all bad. The points do got to come down. Um, we've had – we'll continue to have long discussions about, you know, where we're going and, and how we'll get that done. Um, but saying that, we had, a lot, we had new starters on defense. We did do some good things too. Um, you know, we got after the passer pretty good. I think it's got to get a little better, but 51 sacks, pretty good. Took the ball away. We wouldn't need to be a little better there in that area. Um, and we've got to take away the explosives. But I would expect to see us take another jump here this year on defense. You him back. What's that? You expect him back, I assume. Who's that? Gus. Yeah. Gus yes. 
coverage is kind of halfway through. Not not entirely, but you play a little bit more. Does that does that suggest that like in terms of playing zone and blitzing more that he, if he's got the guys in the secondary, you think he'll probably do a little bit more of that? I think that I mean I think you'd as we and that's part of our discussions, you know, that we've been having about, you know, what's the best thing I mean, look, football's at the end of the day, whatever you play, man, zone, bliss, like everybody Everybody, you know, you do one thing to an extreme and everybody wants the other extreme. At the end, you know, what it comes, at the end of the day, what it comes to, like who blocks, who tackles, who's fundamentally sound, that, that still wins in our league. Um, no matter what you play, like I don't, whatever the coverages are, I mean, everybody's got a, excuse, almost dropped an F-bomb. Everybody's got an answer on coverage. <laughs> and, they, and they ain't, again, they ain't calling it. So... We'll work through it. We'll continue to grow, and I think we'll take another step. And kind of talking more about the youth in the secondary, you also mentioned rookies and injuries. He battled some since coming in, in April. And so just kind of talk about what you saw from him when he was able to be on the field and some of the big plays he was able to make. Yeah, I, it's funny because I had this talk with him the other day. and I, So you got Jones who, you know, who really doesn't miss anything from OTAs, camp, and you, and you just watch him continue to excel. I mean, he had some up and down moments, but I mean, I thought he played really well um, for the most part. Um, and then Juju, who really didn't get much camp time because of a, you know, he had the wrist coming out, then he had a, a nagging hamstring. And then we finally get him in the game and he pops a ball out, which I think really turned the Baltimore game around, you know, popping a ball out. And then he gets another little hamstring injury, um, a couple more, so that's something that, you know, availability and being able to be available each and every day to practice. I mean, I don't ever want to under – I mean, you got, the only way you get better is by practicing and playing. Like, you don't get better not – I mean, we've gotten into a world where fucking, we back everything off, like practice doesn't matter, and you got to practice. Like, you have to practice. And it's not easy. It's not hard. This is a freaking hard physical game. It is. Um, and look, I believe in sports science, and I'm, I'm, I'm into all that. But at the end of the day, you got to practice. So at the end of the day with Juju, he's very talented. He cares deeply. We think he is going to really be a, an excellent player. But he's got to be healthy, and he's got to practice. That's how you get better. Um, he's a great kid. And he cares. And when he played, he played well. I know the other night, but freak, I mean, those guys are on scholarship too. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I know everybody wants you to be perfect, but, you know, they, they, they get paid too. And they, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. And then just kind of looking at the draft class as a whole, I mean, I'm sure early on you expect to see Anthony, maybe Juju, but there were a lot of guys later round picks such as a Josh Downs or a Blake Freeland or Jalen Jones to play. Just overall, just with the production from the rookies this year, how would you just evaluate their performance? Yeah, pretty good. I mean, you know, I thought we got good, really good play out of Jones, um, especially being a seven. I give Anthony, our scout in the Southwest, all the credit for Jones, all of it. He gets all of it. Um, he pressed. He kept bugging me about it, and finally I looked at him and said, "I'm taking him. And if he if he stinks, it's on you. I mean, I'll take the blame for it, but you know it's on you. And if he's great, you get all the credit. He gets all the credit because um, I think Kid's going to be a really good football player for us. Um, Anthony's injury, unfortunate. Juju dinged up all year. Josh Downs was really good. I think we see the upside of what he can be." Um, 
and I think you're just going to see him take off even, you know, even more. I thought Mallory, uh, again, he's another one that's got to stay healthy, but when healthy, he's a real threat as a receiving tight end. He is. I mean, he's fast. He's, he's a good athlete. He can run, um, and he's really good after the catch. So those are good things. Uh, you know, one of the under – Scott, we were really excited about Scott. He tears his ACL – uh, during OTAs. Let me tell you about him. He did not miss one day of practice. I don't know if I've ever been around a kid that just every day in the same spot, paying attention, dialing in mentally every single day from training camp to the end of the year. The kid didn't miss a day. So um, getting him back, you know, will be will be good for our, for our back. And he's smart. He's athletic. Um, we really like what we saw, you know, the limited time we had him. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. How did you see Blake Freeland hold up? How did you see Blake? I'm ready to hear We, Blake got, it's a little, it's, it's a little like, you know, Raymond last year where he got fired into, you know, he got put in the fire and, you know, he's got, he's got to get stronger. He knows it. But let me tell you what he didn't do. He, there never was the, and there was a couple games. I mean, look, he had tough duty. I mean, I, oh, shoot. You know, I mean, I don't care who the tackle is when you're lining up against Miles Garrett. That's not an easy – I don't – it doesn't matter. And – but there never was the look of doubt or despair in his eye. Even – and that's an encouraging thing. He will get better, um, and he will continue to grow, and it'll be fun to watch him, you know, this offseason. Uh, I, I know you love Pitt. Uh, yep. But there's also the business component. Yep. Um, what can you say about that front you know, that you feel comfortable saying? care deeply about him um and him and i have we have a really good relationship it's an honest one almost too honest i think sometimes um but that's what i love about him i mean guy's competitive he's tough he cares he wants to win i mean look we're gonna work to get him back um we'll work through that um we got some i know we're gonna have a few free agents you're all gonna want to talk about and i'm probably gonna give you the same answer um, would like to have them all back, but it didn't work that way. You know, it's just the nature of what we do. Um, but, you know, Pitt's a good football player for us, and, and you know, hopefully he still remains a cold. Chris, last year you kept the same five offensive linemen that started for the back half of the year. What do you see out of that group, and, and specifically with Tony Sperano Jr. kind of bringing that group together? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I said this last year where as we were, you know, sometimes you get blinded by – you know, the wins and losses, and you're not really paying attention. But I thought that group played better the back half of the year last year. Um, and then I think Tony did a tremendous job. And, look, he had some – I mean, we had injuries, and, I mean, he had to really be flexible and get those other guys ready to play. Um, but, you know, pleased with where they're at and where they're going. And I thought they had a – I thought they really – I thought Bernard took a, a really good step. Um, and I think it's going to continue to get better – you know, the more he plays, um, I thought Quentin played really well this year. Um, back to being who I, who we all think and know who he is. I thought Ryan Kelly, you know, he had a little injury there, you know, midseason, but thought he came back and competed well. I thought Will Fries, um, played really solid football all the way through. 
Um, and then, you know, Braden, I mean, Braden's important to our football team. And when he doesn't play it, you know, it hurts us. He's, he's you know, he had some issues with his knee that, you know, he'll work through. But he's an, he's an important part of the, you know, he's an important piece. Um, and then, the, you know, with the rotational backups, when Freeland had to play and uh, when Wesley French had to come in and play, um, I thought Tony and the offensive staff did a really good job adjusting um, and getting that group to go. Those two guys, um, Jones and Brent, started somewhat because they had to, I and mean, they were maybe. Are they your guys going forward? You believe in competition, but are those the guys, and you're going to bring in people to compete with them, or are any of those jobs open that you're trying to replace? No, they, those are two talented kids, and they're, you know, young men, and you know, we'll always add competition. You know, getting Dallas, you know, Dallas. Unfortunately, we thought he was playing pretty good. Um, you know, he had the Achilles, but getting Dallas Flowers back will be big. And then we'll continue. We'll add fuel. You know, we'll add some competition to it. Um, and they'll always compete. You know, we'll have to compete. I mean, there's no given job. So, I mean, they'll have to compete. But we, I'll tell you this. I'm excited about both of them. Chris, talk about bringing uh, high-character guys this season. These guys are coming together. There were some issues on this team. Mm -hmm. So, how do you... I guess square that. I know you can't see the future and what a guy might do, but how do you square that when you have seven guys get suspended and one on the exemptions? People make mistakes. And look, I'm there. I think sometimes we we forget that. You know, guys make mistakes. I mean, they get punished for it and they move look, I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and act like we're just perfect. I mean, there's a diff personal character and football character are two different separate things. Guys that love to play, you know, versus how, you know, they behave off the field and treat people. Now, look, we want them both great. I mean, we do. I mean, and we've been pretty good about it. Um, but guys are just one of those years. Guys made some mistakes. They had to pay the price for it, and we moved forward. You know, they're, you know, second chances are okay in life. And and I think you know, even the guys that were here and what happened to them. I I, I don't think any of you would categorize any of them as bad character guys. They made mistakes. Chris, is there a guy being back then? What's that? Do you anticipate Drew remaining a member of this team going forward? Yeah, I'm not going to comment on Drew's on the exempt list right now. We'll just we'll let the legal process let that one play out. So you sat up here and talked about how you needed to evolve in some ways. But just looking back at the past year, what were some of the ways you challenged yourself to grow and, and how do you think that went? Yeah, no, I mean, and you're constantly challenging yourself. Just being more open-minded to way doing ways of you know player acquisition different types of players open-minded with my staff being a better listener I mean all those things that um, I thought I really failed at in 2022 um, not being as reactionary in the moment, ignore game day. That's just is what it is for three hours. That's just who I am. I suck. Um, I stink on game day. But after that's over, um, being able to make, like I'm obsessed with decision making right now. And that's one of the things I really thought about. Like when you, because we all have these biases, everybody, being aware of what your biases are when you're making decisions. And I think I said it last year, don't, it was the start of it, but don't ever let, don't ever start with an end in mind, okay? Because that's what we do. You, y'all do it all the time when you write. I mean, it's a natural. I mean, we all do it. You start with an end in mind, and really keep it an open mind and let things play out. I, I really believe 
helps make better decisions in the long run. Chris, how does building with a rookie quarterback, rookie contract quarterback, change things for you, if at all? My, no, I mean, it, it opens the world up a little bit more, um, you know, financially, um, which is a, you know, which is a, a good thing here going forward. And has Shane influenced your roster building approach at all? We agree pretty, no, I mean, of course, like if a golden nugget sits in our face, of course we're going to do it. But, you know, we both agree that the fronts are important um, and how to build it um, and, you know, those will always be priorities for both of us. Um, but in terms of free agency, I mean, I think we agree. I mean, we don't, we're not going to be, you know, reckless. I mean, I, I think you can look around the league and see reckless. Uh, we're not going to be reckless. We'll be smart. Um, and if an opportunity presents itself to get a difference maker, we'll do it. Um, but it's got to yeah, usually those different make I mean if you just look across the league how many of them actually hit the market think about I mean I know y'all all write about it and say you got to get but how many of them actually hit the market there's a reason usually they're hitting the market you talked about becoming more explosive offensively and surrounding Anthony with more weapons what what do you do you see in the draft and free agency the kinds of players that that can help in that well I mean, you know, we're going through it right now. We haven't started. I've got a pretty good handle on the draft, and we do think it's going to be pretty good with some explosive guys. And then working through free agency right now, um, we're just kind of finishing it up. We do think there's going to be some opportunities to add some players to to make us more explosive. And how the, and with Anthony, uh, when you think about the explosiveness, I mean, how, how, how important do you think that will be to his success? Increasing that. Potential. I think just when he plays, people defend you a little differently. So, but I do think I, I think it's, I think we saw it already. Like it kind of naturally happens when he's in there. I mean, you know, either with his feet or with his arm, could what he's able to do. And look, he's got a lot of work to do. And there'll be some moments next year where he, he'll still look like a rookie. I mean, it just it's going to happen. Um, but I think he. Uh, his ability to push the ball down the field and create, you know, allows for those explosiveness plays to happen. What's your evaluation of Alec Pierce two years in? I thought it, that's a good question. We, Alec and I had a long talk because he does, like the things he does really well and really why we drafted him is getting down the field. I mean, that's what he's really good at. Um, and I think when we were able to use him in those situations, um, he was successful. Um, and I think we got to continue to work on ways to, to let him do what he does well, and that's, you know, stretch the field. Um, still a young player, um, solid year. Um, thought we probably could have, I think, I mean, he's so unselfish. He's never, you're never going to hear him gripe or complain. You know, he's going to do whatever the team requires him to do. But I do think there's more in there. Chris, with, with all the stuff you have to do roster-wise that's ongoing, doesn't it free you up that you're not sitting here wondering who your quarterback's going to be? And that's what it's been the last forever? Yes. Now, I don't want to discount. I mean, I think it's a position you got to continue to evaluate every year. The backup quarterback's going to be very important. I think we saw that. I mean, I can't understate, um, you know, the value of what Gardner brought 
you know, to this team, gave us a chance to win each and every way, gave us hope, chance to win, fun, fun guy to be around. I'm sure fun guy for y'all to be kind of uni unique perspective on life. Um, and guys believe in him. I mean, like that's the, like the one thing, like likability and belief are two things that are, you know, when, when they believe and think the quarterback, get, you have a chance to win, you know, that's, in, that's important. Um, and, you know, grateful for Gardner and, and what he was able to do. So I don't want to underestimate the value of the two either. Is there a chance, I mean, is there a chance to bring him back? You look for a different No, I mean, uh, Gardner and I, talk, I mean, of course Gardner wants to be a starter. That's who, that's what his makeup is. Sam, Sam's the same way. You know, him and Sam, are, they're, they, they're a lot alike in that way, where they both, like you wouldn't want it any, Jacoby was that way. You know, they want to be the guy. I get it, you know, and they're competitive and there's a, it's hard for them to, you know, it's hard for them to accept somebody telling them, hey, you're, you're the two, you know. This is what's great about Gardner. Um, he, he was the two, knew he was the two, but he continued to work like he was the one and then also help Gardner like he was the one. That's a, that's a special quality. That's, he's, a, he's a tremendous young man, good player. Thank God we had him. You're talking about explosiveness. Anthony and Jonathan are on the field for two plays together this year. Just how much can that add to it next year? Um, who was the second one? Oh, Jonathan. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, you saw Jonathan the other night. I mean, yeah, the more guys you have that can create those kind of explosive plays. You saw what Anthony did when he was able to I mean, it, it changes the, the dynamics of how people defend you. With, with Jonathan, what, what in your eyes changed from kind of the last time we sat here to, to getting the extension done? I think calmer heads, him getting healthy. Like, he was hurt. Like, I still don't understand. <laughs> Guy was hurt. He was hurt. You know, and, and but him, you know, when we put him on PUP, allowed him to get going again and, and, you know, us to see he was healthy again. Um, and then calm our heads and really sitting back and think, okay, it's like, you've got to be careful. And we all have egos and I have one too, but you've got to be careful of letting your ego get in the way of making the right decision and right choice. Okay. Jonathan Taylor being a Colt was the right thing. Okay. And I, he's going to, he's going to, you're going to, I will tell you this. And I, I kind of felt this all year. I'd be shocked if he doesn't, we're not about to see real greatness out of him here going forward. Chris, do you think a big chunk, you got a ton of cap space, do you expect a big chunk on in-house guys? Um, we'll see how that plays out. Um, there's guys we, no doubt we want to bring back. Uh, you know, to make a prediction right now, it'd be negligent. I mean, I can't sit there and make a prediction on that. Comfortable using the franchise tag? What's that? Comfortable using the franchise tag, or do you worry about ramifications? Of I don't worry about the ramifications, no. But it's a tool. I don't want to use it, um, but it's a tool. If we have to use it, we will. One of those guys is Grover Stewart. You guys kind of got a six-game look at what the run looks like without him. Does that underscore his importance? Grover's are – I think you know my feelings on Grover. Um, he's my first year here, I, you know, he's one of our first draft – you know, picks and um, he's done nothing but be a a great Colt, a great teammate, 
um, everything you want. So, yeah, Grover's, Grover's a guy we'd like to have back. Chris, what is the relationship like with Shane from like a human standpoint? I know we always say he's all ball. And he joke that he's like a robot or something, but when you see him coaching, how do you see him coach from like the human aspect as well as, you know, obviously being great and play calls and things like that? I think any good coach, they're able to connect on both levels. Like, it can't. I think what you're seeing today, I mean, I don't want to understate the ability of coaches to change lives because they do at every level. Like, they impact players' lives. Go go ask the guys that have played for Coach Belichick, Pete Carroll, I mean, some of these legends. Um, and, yes, it was football. And, yes, they won a lot of games. But they also gave them direction in, in life with the things they teach them on a, on a daily basis. And... Shane, I think, has a great message, not only, you know, about what helps you, because, like, the skill set you learn in football, things we do in, in this game, it applies to life. It does. And all that stuff carries over. And I think the best coaches are able to, to blend the two, and I think he does a really good job of that. He, he does a good job connecting. Uh, authentically, not, not in a fake. There's no fake in Shane. Um, it's, a, it's an authentic how he connects and who he is. And I think that's important. I mean, like, players can smell bullshit a mile away. They just can. And you can't bullshit them. Excuse my language. They can't BS them. Um, that's an example of that is the fourth down call going to Tyler Goodson. If it works, everyone's saying it's the greatest play. It didn't work. It's the worst play. But just the empowerment of a guy like that and believing truly in all, every guy on the team. <laughs> yeah, I mean – Look, we just didn't execute. You know, everybody's beating Tyler up, but he wasn't. I mean, Gardner will tell you it wasn't his best throw either. Like, I mean, let's, we just didn't execute the play. But that game didn't come down to that one play. We're all going to point to that one play. It didn't come down to that one play. We spotted them seven the first – spotted them seven right away. I mean, there was a lot of plays in that game. Freaking Stroud made some freaking incredible plays in that game. So, not the one play. Um, and and Shea's not we're a lot of, like he's not going to blame others for, and he's going to depend on who we have on the roster um, to make plays. I didn't hear anybody bitching about Goodson against Pittsburgh. He caught the same ball on the same exact play down the sideline. It was a better ball. Um, I didn't hear anybody bitching in that game. It happened. We didn't execute. Chris, how do you look at Quiddy Pay three years in? So good, better. I mean, excellent versus the run. Probably think he had his high sack total this year. Um, you know, he's got some stuff he's got to work on rushing the passer, but good. He's a, he's a good football player. I thought our front played really well. I thought our D-line played pretty good football. Were you pissed with your option? Oh, come on now. You know I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> uh, Chris, another player you did have to, to make a decision on this season was Shaquille Leonard. Uh, just what can you share about uh, the, the steps that led you to you know, decide to release him at midseason? Yeah, that sucked. Um, that was hard. I love him. He knows it. I got a lot of respect for Darius. Um, yeah, I envision Darius for the injury. I mean, I, you know, you, and it just shows you how hard it is to become a Hall of Fame player, but he was on that track. I mean, there probably wasn't in a four year span better playmaker at 
and you can even say it on defense, like a, just a pure playmaker when, when the chips were on the line and you need to make a play. I don't know if I've been around, and I've been with some really good players on defense, especially at linebacker, but he was as good as any of them. Um, and so when he wasn't quite been able to make it back, you know, to what he was, um, and he's still working towards that. And now that you saw flashes, but then at the end of the day, versus what we thought we had in, bu- in the building, um, we just thought it was time, you know. Um, EJ Speed was, was scratching at the door. And, you know, we wanted to get him on the field. And I didn't think it was fair to Darius to say, you know what, Darius, you're going to be the backup. You're not going to play. You're going to be inactive. That's not – I couldn't do that to him. I couldn't do that to him. Chris, is there anything that you can add about Jim Irsay's situation? No. Other than, um, you know, um, other knees, you know, he's stable and, you know, they're working through it. Chris, I know you mentioned explosive plays. Where else do you see areas to improve either side of the ball? I think that's, I mean, I think always fundamentally, um, I thought we got a little, you know, the game and at the end of the Houston, you know, there's a couple, you know, we get the sack and then it's second and 20 and we play zone coverage, we miss a tackle. Next thing you know, it's third and four. All right. So, I, I mean, I think fundamentally you can always improve, but like our big, our biggest areas, um, I think the ones with the explosive plays are the biggest things we need to, you know, need to address. And you can address that with players, scheme. There's a, there's a few things you can do. Let me see the safety position. Um, that's a, that's I was waiting for that. Um, that's good. I thought Julian Blackman played really good football this year. Um, it sucked when he got hurt. I mean, he was that hurt. You know, it did. When we lost him, I thought he played excellent football. Moving, uh, moving Harrison. I mean, you know, we kind of put him at linebacker for a while as a dime. You know, he's kind of almost like a dime linebacker. Then we kicked him back to safety, and I thought, I mean, like everything, fortunate to have him because he played pretty good football when he went in there. But he just hadn't been playing a lot of safety up to that point. But I thought he played good, good, pretty good football. I do think we got to get more consistency. Out of the, out of the free safety position, um, and that's not quite a knock because they're both young players. And I thought they saw like Thomas has some good moments, Cross has some really good moments, but we need more consistent moments um, from that position. And, and that I'm sure has a direct impact on the explosive plays and that kind of thing. You see a direct the, relationship there. Yeah, I mean, look, ta- one, it's always tackling. I mean. Like when you're a good tackling team, you know, first guy gets some, gets a guy down, it, it eliminates a lot of it. But yeah, I mean, he's the eraser. You know, the free safety is the eraser. Chris, when you look at the year Lonnie Woods had, um, how much did you, I guess, stay in contact with him throughout a year that obviously did not go the way he wanted it to go? And, and Re- repeat it. Johnny Woods, um, uh, how did you kind of help him get through this year? And I guess what's the goal going forward for a guy who obviously you're really high on? Yeah, we were expecting, you know, good things from him. And then when he came in, he's been hurt since his new coaching staff, get it, it, you know, came in the door. So, you know, for Jelani, you know, it's a big year for him. Um, he's got to stay healthy. Um, and let's see where he can go. But the biggest thing is him getting healthy. And he, he never really got a chance to show this staff who he was. I mean, he was hurt from the get-go. So he's got to hear that chronic. He has some chronic issues going on with his hamstring. And so he needs to he's get healthy and get ready to go. 
Did the defensive staff kind of figure out how to use Kenny Moore a little better this year? Um, I don't know. I mean, Kenny's a good freaking football player. I mean, um, and remember, I think I told you, didn't like, and we just, not everybody played great that year before. I thought Kenny played really good football this year. I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily say they used him differently, um, but I thought Kenny played really well. I mean, I think he just played better. He just played better. Going into year eight for you, do you feel urgency with Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't think it guts me. The last three years have really – this year better – but 21 and 22, I mean, that's, I mean, I feel bad for our fans. I want to let them down. I mean, that's what, that's what sticks in my cross. So, damn right. Damn right. Chris, the, uh, the wide receiver market's kind of the opposite of the running back market right now. Just here's your thoughts on, on where that's moved. And um, is, that just, is there just sort of a new going rate for, for guys at the top of that? Or are there, there are different ways to build your team where you don't have to necessarily play that game, I guess? I don't know. I mean – it, the market is what the market is, you know. I mean, it's like you got to have gas in your car, and if it's four bucks a gallon, you're gonna pay four bucks a gallon. I mean, it, it is what it is. So, I, there are ways to build your team, um, and if that's one of the ways you you need to do it, um, then you do it. I mean, you don't you you've got to have good players at every level. Um, and it just it is what it is in terms of market. I wish I had a better answer for you, but like it's kind of like the quarterback. I mean, you know, I mean, when you got one, the price tags up over forty-five to fifty million now. I mean, just market is what the market is, and got to have them. Got to have White House. Chris, in what ways? Did, in what ways did Anthony benefit? Obviously. He would have gotten the most benefit by playing yeah. from the mental reps and being around the building and seeing the game from, from the sideline. I think all of that was – I think all that was big for him. I think feeling – like before the Houston game, I told him, I said, look, I said, this is a playoff game. It's going to be a playoff game-like atmosphere. I said, feel it. I said, because this is what – I said, the intensity is high with every game. No, don't get me wrong. I said, but when these games on the line, these playoff games, I said, feel the intensity, pay attention to when the mistakes, the teams that make the fewest mistakes in these games win it. And I said, that's what you've got to learn and grow from. And, and unfortunately, you've got to be in the game eventually, but just paying attention to it and getting a feel for it, um, I think will benefit him a lot going forward. I think these guys in that locker room love football. They have to make it here. But him going through what he did this year, it, it feels like it, it was an opportunity to really see that from him. Could, could you tell? Because he missed it so much. You know? Here's what I would tell you. I know he loves to play. <laughs> like, that's a that's – I mean, he, lo like he loves to play. He's a young guy. Um, you know, I think where Anthony's biggest growth I've seen is loving – the process to get the ability to play if that if you understand that like it can't be about just sunday mm -hmm. process in general it's got to be the pro you got to love the journey to get to sundays you know because that's what leads to wins you got to love that journey that's what's been fun i'm not gonna say he didn't know but he didn't know 
You know, he's learning as he goes. And I think fall in love with the process of, of work and getting better. That's why you do what you do. I mean, why? And I think for any player, any coach, any executive, anybody, any job, I mean, the fun's in the work. You know, the fun's in the journey, the fun's in the work. I've seen him navigate the spotlight because I have to remind myself even sometimes. He's 21, right? So how have you seen him navigate the spotlight even when things don't go his way? If you're CJ Stroud right now, you're on top of the world. If you're him, you're like kind of left out of the party. He's got a good, humble nature about him. The spotlight's a tough thing to navigate. It is. Um, you know, and I've always said, you know, they're going to write a lot of great things about you that probably aren't true, and they're going to a lot of, they're going to write a bunch of shit about you that ain't true. It's usually somewhere in the middle. Being able to balance your ego, to be able to understand that even when it's as good as it can be, <laughs> that there's still a long fall if you don't handle it right. And then also when it gets really hard, knowing it's not the end of the world. Um, he's got a great way about him. He got a really good humble spirit, um, which I appreciate. Um, and, and there's never been a point where I thought, man, you know, sometimes this happens, but you don't have any arrogance about him. A lot similar to Andrew in that way. Andrew was that way. You know, Andrew, Andrew, remember I used to tell y'all, Andrew wanted to be one of the 53. He understood the role of the quarterback in the, and where he stood in the pecking order, but he wanted to be one of the 53, and I see a lot of that with Anthony. That's a good thing. You mentioned, you mentioned at the beginning um, having a legitimate kicker. Matt kind of had some issues there in the back half. How do you guys do that? And how do you do the special teams as a whole? Yeah, so Matt, no, glad we have Matt. I mean, he, you know, he got on a little bit of a, you know, he had a little hip there at one point, had a little stuff going on. Um, and But, no, happy to have him. You know, it, he, I mean, he was unbelievable early. He got into a little bit of a, a I wouldn't say a rut, you know, but um, I think I think his expectations are to never miss. Um, but, I mean, we're fortunate to have him. Uh, good and bad moments on teams. You know, I think we'll, we'll continue to grow in that area. I mean, the Tennessee game, they win it. And we did some other consistent, some really good things. And then, you know, some things I think we need to get better at. And I can help him with personnel, too. I mean, that's, that's, don't blame it all on them. Um, there's some areas that I think we can help them with also. And we had a lot of new players on special teams now. Um, and that's not, I mean, some younger guys, especially on, like, really what special teams boils down to today, punt, punt return, field goal and field goal block. I mean, kickoff, kickoff return, yes, but the new rule that was in place pretty much eliminated. I don't know what the ultimate, you know, end result was, but I just off the top of my head, I'm guessing less than 20% returns, just guessing. I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure Twitter will give a reply. Rigo a priority to bring back? I love, yeah, I think a lot of Rigo. Had a good year. Thought he started off a little slow, but then once he got going, he was Rigo. He's good. No yeah, I know. Pretty, pretty special guy. Pretty neat guy. And, and don't underestimate his ability to hold. Like, I think that's one of the more underrated skills. He's excellent as a holder. Excellent. I see that Tony were uh, suspended the last two games of the season, kind of detrimental to the team. What is what was that decision? Whose decision was it? Was it yours? Was it Shane's? Or was it collaborative? Organization. They made a mistake. 
pay for the mistake, we move forward. Any surgeries for your injured guys, Julian, Braden? Right now, right now, no. But I think we'll have more decision next week. I don't think Julian, Braden, 50-50. I'm not quite sure where we're going to go with that. But next week, we'll have more. That'll be a combine question. We got to have something to answer at the combine. I mean, y'all ask them all here, and then we're going to go. Always ask Matt, do I have to do the combine? Yes, you have to do the combine. Why? I'm going to get the same questions. Oh, well, you got to do it. All right. <laughs> Is that it? Now, hold on now. Are you sure? <laughs> save them up, save them for the combine so we can have more at the combine. Go ahead. You seem to be in a very good mood. You should have been in the office on Sunday. Um, I was the only one in here. Everybody, I mean, just because we told everybody to get out. And look, I hate fucking. I hate losing. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of not being in the playoffs. That's on me. Don't. But I'm encouraged about where we're going, and I'm confident about where we're going. I didn't mean that that way. I know. I did not mean it that way. But I'm now like, you just struck a nerve. <laughs> you just want, it's like being at the, you know, when you go in the dentist and they're, and I just had a root canal here not too long. My dentist is outstanding. But, you know, they drill up in there and they give you the deadening medicine and they think they've got all the nerve, but there's just like that little bit of nerve they don't have and they just hit it. Greg, you hit it. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank y'all. Appreciate it. Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, conducting his end-of-season press conference nearly 45 minutes or so, and a lot to go through with that. I think before uh, we come back to rehash it, it should be pointed out that that was certainly a more optimistic and upbeat Chris Ballard than one year ago when it was a very contrite and humbled Chris Ballard, certainly a more rejuvenated and optimistic one today. We'll rehash what he had to say. We'll get your thoughts on it as well. And Matt Taylor will join us on the program today. But some of the highlights, and for those that might have missed it, some of the things he talked about in terms of key players, free agents, and the direction of the Indianapolis Colts. We'll go over all of it, and we'll do it on the other side. You were listening to Query Company here, 93.5107.5 The Fan. So a lot to... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Go through in that conversation with Chris Ballard, I don't think that there was anything overly like eye-popping. There were a few that caught my ear and, for lack of a better term, caught my eye. Uh, first off... And obviously, he's in a closed room press conference with the with mostly people that he knows. Um, and kudos to Eddie Garrison for having his finger on the dump button quickly. And I've you know with Chris Ballard, you know somebody was like, "Well, he's got a potty mouth." Yeah, you know, he's he's having a pretty frank and honest conversation there. So uh, no issue there. He does say look a lot. I will say that. A um, couple of things that jumped out, and then Jimmy, we'll get your thoughts as well. I want your thoughts on it. I, I thought that he began with a an apology to the fans. That's a guy that I think knows where his bread is buttered and is aware of that. Um, 
I do think that Chris Ballard is a pretty confident guy, you know, and he said in it, like, look, I've got an ego. We all have an ego. I, I agree with that in terms of from Ballard's standpoint. But I also think that he knows that that clock is ticking a little bit and that the excuses are kind of over with. And I don't mean that as a knock on him, but there have been in the past when the Colts have fallen short of expectation, there have usually been very definitive reasons for that. Some of them the fault of the general manager or the front office, and some of them, quite frankly, not, uh, you know, to be honest. Um, And I think he's aware of that. I thought when talking about Anthony Richardson, he was cautionary, but optimistic. And he said, quote, he's humble. He has empathy for other people. He cares. He will work. And then he later said about Anthony Richardson, he has a lot to learn which would be true of any young player, obviously. But he did say that Anthony Richardson is flat out a passer, but said that's something I was concerned about. And I think that speaks, there would be two ways to interpret that. One would be if you were a cynic to say, well, if you were concerned about the guy as a passer and he's a quarterback, then that seems an interesting selection. But I think that goes to show how much they believe in all of the rest of the intangibles of Anthony Richardson that are so unique that they were willing to take the risk and wait on the passing game to come about. And by Chris Ballard's own admission there, they had concern about the passing game. The, quite frankly, the question that I thought was the biggest of the press conference or the biggest question going into it that I had was just because we are so conditioned and used to at this point in the season after the season concludes and after games itself, we as the media and you as the fans of the Indianapolis Colts have become so used to and with an expectation of hearing from Jim Irsay, the fact that we have not and the fact that the Colts issued a statement saying that Jim Irsay is currently being treated for a, I believe they said, severe upper respiratory infection. When asked about Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard said simply, he's stable and they're working through it, quote and end quote. That was the only question about Jim Irsay. Um, Other than that, in terms of player injuries, player free agency, I thought he was pretty down the road of what you would expect him to say. But Jimmy, your overall thoughts on the comments of Chris Ballard. A couple things that jumped out. This is not an insinuation that he is saying Anthony Richardson is not the franchise quarterback, but he said when asked about Anthony Richardson early, don't crown him, don't stamp him yet, but they are encouraged. I don't know who's crowning Anthony Richardson other than the obvious statement that he'd better be the franchise quarterback for Ballard's sake and for that entire front office's sake, because if not, they're going to be out of a job when his tenure is over. By tenure, I mean for Anthony Richardson. So that was interesting. He highlighted... All the things that he highlighted about them needing to be more explosive on offense, about them needing to prevent the explosiveness on defense, about the it's not all one play and that everybody shouldn't get on Tower Goodson for dropping that ball, which, by the way, we haven't done that on this station. I don't think anybody with a sane mind has blamed Tyler Goodson and said it's his fault that they're not there anymore. He never should have been put in that position in the first place. But the reason he's put in that position is because 
That's how the roster is constructed. The reason they gave up explosive plays against Houston is because that's how they're constructed. And the reason that C.J. Stroud is able to be feeling great in Houston is because that is how the roster is constructed. It all goes on Chris Ballard, and I know there are excuses built in over the last eight years. And to some extent, there are understandable circumstances for why it's year eight and they still don't have a division title. But when you look at where the roster is and where it could go moving forward, you are reliant on Chris Ballard to build around your face of the franchise. And you need to really look in the mirror and ask yourself in eight years, has he done enough to be worthy of that opportunity? He's going to get it. He's clearly going to get it the way he's talking. That's out of everybody's hands. He's going to get the opportunity to build around Anthony Richardson. That doesn't mean you still can't hold pause, look at all of his answers, and realize how much of it's Gus Bradley's fault, how much of it is his. Michael Pittman Jr. is one of the key pieces, one would assume, towards Chris Ballard finding that stability and trying to take the next step for the franchise itself. And... If you are Michael Pittman or his agent, I think you are encouraged. Or if you're a Colts fan that wants to see Michael Pittman back, you are encouraged by Ballard's comments. I thought he was bullish about Pittman, as he should be. Uh, Here's Chris Ballard on talking about Michael Pittman. Care deeply about him. And him and I have, we have a really good relationship. It's an honest one. Almost too honest, I think, sometimes. But that's what I love about him. I mean, guy's competitive. He's tough. He cares. He wants to win. I mean, look, we're going to work to get him back. Um, we'll work through that. Um, we got some. I know we're going to have a few free agents you're all going to want to talk about, and I'm probably going to give you the same answer. Um, would like to have them all back, but it didn't work that way. You know, it's just the nature of what we do. Um, but, you know, Pitt's a good football player for us, and, and you know, hopefully he still remains a Colt. So we'll come back. We'll continue talking about this. I'd like to know your folks' thoughts as well. You listen to it. You are – Fans of the franchise, your thoughts on Chris Ballard's comments as we wade through the end of the year for the Indianapolis Colts. We'll continue to do so here on Query Company, 93.5-1075, The Fan. So we are not... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you watching Chris Ballard that we were listening to him as he was addressing the media and talking about the Colts season that has come to a close I also found it interesting by the way 239-1070 is the telephone number and I would love your folks thoughts on what you heard whether you were encouraged discouraged status quo on what Chris Ballard had to say what the Colts fan perspective on what the general manager had to say about this season for the Colts. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joining us 15 minutes from now as well. But your chance to chime in if you so choose. Um, I thought it was interesting when he called Grover Stewart a great Colt and a great teammate. I don't dispute that. He would know that better than I. I. I do think that there are some people that would take exception to calling a player that puts himself in a position to not be with his teammates for six games a great teammate. But I think he is a by all accounts, seems to be a very good, obviously a great player, and a person that that players enjoy playing with as a teammate. So in that regard, you know, I'll trust Chris Ballard on that. Uh, talked about Jelani Woods, said a big year for him, and that Jelani Woods didn't have a chance because of a nagging hamstring injury. 
to show this coaching staff what he could do. I thought he kind of challenged Jelani Woods in that regard. There has been some scuttlebutt that perhaps Jelani Woods' condition or um, injury was condition related. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but you could kind of read between the lines that it seemed like Ballard was challenging that a little bit. Um, you know, he he essentially said that he was in, impressed with and encouraged by the way this team sacrificed, hung in, came together. I think, Jimmy, those things are an absolute credit to the locker room that was assembled. I did take exception this year to some of the things that players were doing to get suspended, to get in trouble. I know Ballard said that guys make mistakes. It doesn't mean that they have bad character, but that everybody deserves a second chance. That's all well and good. Um, There is no doubt, though, that this team did exceed expectation and that the expectation placed upon them by us primarily was, in fact, uh, off base. You know, three to four wins, five wins, I think a lot of people felt. So in terms of their camaraderie that allowed them to overcome a lot this year. Kudos to them and credit to them, no doubt about it, Jimmy. No, that's great for first-year head coach, for first-year quarterback, for a lot of new looks in terms of the total structure of the Colts outside of, you know, we mentioned Gus Bradley being retained, and that's a whole other conversation for a longer segment of where's the blame on Bradley versus where's the blame on Ballard in terms of roster construction. One thing that I wanted to highlight from this that I just need to get off my chest from his comments and I get it, not all kicks are created equal, but you made it a point in the offseason to fix your kicking woes and spend the money, albeit not crazy money because it's kicker money, not wide receiver money, but you wanted to make Matt Gay one of the highest paid kickers in the history of the NFL. In terms of average annual salary, he was second to Justin Tucker this year. That should get you better than 27th in accuracy in the league. He's 32nd if you include guys that took like two or three or four kicks. If you trim that down to a proper minimum attempts, he's 27th. 27th for the second highest paid kicker in the National Football League. But here's the thing, Jimmy. Sure. What was Chris Ballard's big offseason splash last year? Aside from drafting Anthony Richardson. It wasn't Matt Gay? I'm sorry, I thought that was the big... It was. Big, the big splash. It was. Correct, yes, yes. So based on that, he is going to Stand by him. No, I understand. Now. And he's still under contract for like two or three years. I get it. The one thing about Matt Gay, I do think that he, I don't think he was 100% healthy towards the end of the year. I would also agree with you on that. And I also think that kicking is a very, and I mean this as a positive, not a negative. It's a very mental position. Probably more than any other in football, like it's like golf. It's a very mental thing. Sure. And I do think that there there were times where that might have been a struggle for him. But it's it's optics for me. I get you, it. You're held to a higher standard when that's the paycheck you're I getting. I get it. Now, I'll tell you another guy that usually, Jimmy, to that point, okay, to that point, that shows precedent that the general manager is all, and I don't care who you're talking about, whether you're talking about Chris Ballard or Kevin Pritchard or, you know, in any GM anywhere, any sport, they are going to stand for their guys, right? And they're going to stand for the moves they make. And more often than not, when you ask them about players, they're going to say, look, you know, he had some struggles this year, but we believe in him. You know, they're going to talk him up a little bit. One guy, to be honest with you, that I thought 
he hesitated in going all in on, and he really stopped to think about what he was going to say. I put this in my notes. Was when he was asked about second-year receiver Alec Pierce. Like the things he does really well, and really why we drafted him is getting down the field. I mean, that's what he's really good at. Um, and I think when we were able to use him in those situations, um, he was successful. Um, and I think we got to continue to work on ways to to let him do what he does well, and that's you know stretch the field. Um, still a young player, um, solid year. Um, thought we probably could have. I think I mean he's so unselfish. He's never you're never going to hear him gripe or complain. You know he's going to do whatever the team requires him to do. But I do think there's more in there. So here's the thing though: when that question was asked, and I'm paraphrasing the question. But the real nugget was the question that was asked was like, hey, there was a lot of expectation from a guy in the second year as a wide receiver. And quite frankly, do you feel like you saw the production that you expected? And Ballard literally took a deep breath and sat on it for like three seconds and then said, good question. In other words, he's acknowledging, yes, in fact, that is even up for the fact that that's even up Correct. for discussion is saying, Yes, in fact, that is an area that is concerned. Now, gives a lot of credence, Jimmy Cook, to what you said about midway through the year when you pointed out the fact that Alec Pierce, it was hard to completely judge who and what he is because probably why he's still out there is because he's running routes and doing plays that are designed for when Anthony Richardson's going to be the one getting him the ball and you're w- going with that arm versus Gardner Minshew. I mean, that's the only thing you can cling to Correct. if you're in that front office is that it's because he was promised one thing, a quarterback with a golden arm, and he got Gardner Minshew instead. And that when you have Richardson fully healthy next year, while Alec Pierce is still on the cheap, has an opportunity to live up to where he was drafted. I did not think, though, that his response to the question, especially on the front of it, was... A guy that sat like if I was Alec Pierce's agent, I probably was thinking to myself, "Eesh, yeah, okay, we 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 <laughs> big year coming up." Uh, Greg, what's going on, Greg? Hey, not much. How you guys doing? Can't complain, Greg. You know what? I mean, it's I'm it's not a big funny. fan of winter or January, but we're sitting here talking sports and can't complain. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, thank you guys for. Uh, doing that whole press conference online. I appreciate that. Um, I, I just think Chris Ballard's time to go. I mean, he, you know, he's happy because, you know, he didn't have the 21 season. He's making all these excuses. And I think they overachieved at nine and eight, believe, you know, with the roster. And it's like, I, he just doesn't, he doesn't um, exude in confidence, confidence in me that he is going to fix this thing. It's like, I think he's just hanging on. That's my opinion about him. Do you feel, let me ask you this, Greg, and I appreciate the perspective. Would you feel the same way if this were year three? Or or is part of that based on the feeling of like kind of a treadmill, these are the same answers year in and year out? Definitely. Yeah, eight years. I mean, they fired Pete Carroll, for God's sakes, in the NFL. I mean, come on, man. We, we still have this guy. You know, Belichick's leaving. You know, it's like it's time to move on from him. I like our coach. I think he – but, you know, we, we, they need weapons. We've been on this station forever. Me listening to you guys was like, we need what we need all this stuff. And he's still just, you know, pantsing around. Like, eh, we don't really – 
Sorry, I'm done with Chris Ballard. Greg, would you like a position here in the company, Aquarium Company? Because I kind of like your your mojo here. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what line of work are you in, Greg? I am in the uh, pharmaceutical industry working for a uh, a pharmacy, though. Okay. How about this, Greg? Just because of the fact that, and I like the fact, there are two things that I enjoy here. Number one, on the call screen, because you were calling in about Ballard, it simply says Greg Ballard. So, like, I kind of want to call you the mayor, right? Uh, Except that eventually I want to be the mayor. So, here's the thing, Greg. You are actually... Uh, because of the fact that you were in the pharmaceutical business, but more so because after eight years, you still need to see more. You're the director of the tough sell. Is that cool? That is cool. I will take that. And uh, yes, I will take that. Thank you. Sir. All right, Greg, director of the tough sale here on Query Company. You're hired. Our hiring freeze is over with. You're hired. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts next. By the way, Jay. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Be live at Parks Place Pub up at 116th Street in Fishers. It's going to be there from 3 until 6, so you got time right now, if you're thinking about it, to still get out there and for the start of his show, enjoy a cold one or a Diet Coke. Maybe a bite to eat. Great place. Parks Place Pub up in Fishers. He's going to be there for the ride with JMV. Also, before we get to Matt Taylor, we do have tickets to give away to the Golf Expo at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. That is January 19th through the 21st. My quick math tells me that must be next weekend. The Golf Expo at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. We have tickets to give away. Eddie, we have how many to give away right now? We will give away two pair. Two pair. Okay. Is it two pair or two pairs? A good question. It would be two pairs, I believe, right? Yeah. And then uh, we've got a, a partridge yeah, somewhere, right. too. One pair, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so four tickets total to give away to two different people who will each win two tickets for the next weekend's Indie Golf Expo at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. But before we Eddie does all of that, let's go to back to West 56th Street where the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, Matt Taylor, joins us on the program. Uh, Matt? Obviously, you were there for Chris Ballard's press conference. I guess first question would simply be just kind of your overall impressions. Was there anything that Chris Ballard said? I thought it was a more optimistic Chris Ballard than a year ago, uh, a little more upbeat and with good reason because the year created more optimism. But anything he said that kind of jumped out at you and maybe surprised you? Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say that he's you know cautiously optimistic. I think the reason why he's cautiously optimistic because he's still like a lot of, you know, people within the building, you know, players, coaches, front office members still, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, that, that wound is still open from last Saturday. But um, now that he's had a couple of days to compartmentalize everything, realize that the team had a winning record coming off 4-12-1 and with a, a rookie quarterback to start the season, a rookie head coach uh, playing with a backup quarterback for most of the season, a lot of injuries, some suspensions, um, you you know, you still kind of ex- exceeded a lot of expectations with this roster. Um, I think he's excited about where the team is headed, and he's excited about the part that he's going to play and try to capitalize on on this season. That I think they're, I think, and and you know, to a large degree ahead of schedule, even based on where he thought they were going to be. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor is our guest. Brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. 
Matt Ballard was asked at one point in time if he thought a big chunk of cap space will be used in-house. He said that he was unsure as of right now. Obviously, it's a balancing act because there's still playoffs to happen and free agency and all that. But the idea of that being a difficult decision on if he would use it in-house or not, how much of that is because of how attractive free agency can be? And how much of that is there's tough decisions to be made because of the personnel and the positions those personnel play potentially walking out the door? Well, you just don't know what the market of these in-house free agents is going to be. And they're all going to do their due diligence, which they should. That's what every free agent should should do, given you know the short uh, shelf life of NFL players. Um, they got to go out and, and maximize their ability to make money with this God-given ability that they have to play at this level within this league. Um, you don't know what the market's going to be for Michael Pittman Jr. You don't know what it's going to be. Uh, you know, we all know what it is here for the Colts, but you know he might not experience the same sort of uh, value to another team that he does with the Colts because of the way that he plays, the way that the Colts use him, the way the Colts run the ball, the the way that he is able to utilize his physicality within the run game. You know his toughness, his grit, and all of those things. Um, so you don't know what the the value of some of these in house free agents are going to be. You don't know what the value is, uh, the value of some of these uh, free agents that you might be targeting. It'd be great to have this guy, or be great to have player B on your roster, but you know the market might just exceed what you're willing to pay and what you're able to allocate at that position financially. So um, you know you've got 14 unrestricted uh, free agents. That's a really high number, and this is I, I'm saying that this is probably. Um, you know, for lack of a better term, a class, an in-house Colts free agent class that has more headliners on it than in years past, in the recent past. I mean, just to name a few, you got Zach Moss and Grover Stewart and Julian Blackman and Kenny Moore and Gardner Minshew and Rigoberto Sanchez. I mean, those are some heavy hitters. Those are those are some players that you know played a lot. Started a lot, provided a lot of leadership. Um, you know, so I think Chris is saying the right thing in terms of I'm, I don't know where I'm going to spend the money, but you do know that a majority of those, you know, proportion-wise, percentage-wise, that a lot of those free agents aren't coming back because that's the math. That's the nature of the NFL. That You, know, you, you see about 30% of the roster turnover every single year, and that's not just the bad teams or the middle-of-the-road teams. Though That's the percentage of, of the roster turnover that you see on teams that play in the championship games in the Super Bowl. So, you know, take a good look. That's the unfortunate part, that this was a roster that I thought was playoff worthy, and now you're going to have to rebuild. You're going to have some holes in some key areas because the math and the financials um, in the current CBA tells you that you can't bring back everybody, so you're going to have to make it worth with a combination of in-house free agents and guys you bring in off the street. Matt, of those in-house free agents, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, our guest, is there one that it kind of falls into favor for the Colts because give and I'm sure there has to be one here. Is there a player that you think about and you say to yourself what that player does and the way they fit into what Shane Steichen wants from them brings them more value to Indianapolis than they perhaps might get on the open market and thus they just kind of automatically default back to a reset because they really fit well here, but yet it may not automatically translate everywhere else. Well, 
I think that guy's probably Michael Pittman Jr. And but we're going to find out just how much value he's going to have. And again, he's going to explore just like he should. Um, but you know, I, I think again his value to the Colts easier for me to say, right? I mean, I don't know thirty-one other teams' outlook on Michael Pittman Jr. But I, I would think that he has a tremendous amount of value to the Colts because. He plays the wide receiver position, and I'm going to sound like I'm parroting Rick, but I really, really believe this, because I think Rick is so spot on when he says it. You know, Pittman, because of his his size um, and the way that he plays, his sure hands, his toughness, he's almost like a tight end in a wide receiver's body. He's really good, you know, between the numbers in the middle of the field. He's not a burner on the outside. I mean, he's got speed, but it's not like it's four, 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 three. Um, and he's really good in the running game. He buys into what the Colts are doing trying to run the ball with Jonathan Taylor. He's a really good blocking wide receiver, and he's just tough. I mean, he's a high-volume catch guy. What He ranked, like, what, fifth in the NFL in, in targets. He was top five in catches. Um, but if you look at his yards per catch, he's right around 10. And that's not – that's not elite wide receiver yards per catch averages, right? He's, he's top five in catches and targets, but he's like 14th in total receiving yards because, again, he's not the, the big traditional outside guy that's going to burn you with speed. He is a high-volume catch receiver, and I think that his value to the Colts is really, really big because of everything that he does to keep this team on schedule. Um, now, granted, if he plays with a different quarterback, are you going to see more of that, right? Would you see a higher yards per catch average? Would you see more explosivity down the field with a different quarterback? Yeah, probably. But but this year with Gardner Minshew and a heavy dose of RPOs, that's what the offense was. That's where Pittman excelled. And I think the Colts need to have a guy – of Pittman's prowess in this offense in order to be successful to complement Anthony Richardson going forward. So I would love to see Michael Pittman Jr. come back because of all that he does. Matt, and I totally agree with that, and it certainly sounded, if I was Michael Pittman Jr.'s agent and I was listening to Chris Ballard talk about it, I'm thinking to myself, this is really going in my favor because he he did not shy away from saying how much he thinks of him as a player, and I think we know his overall value to what he can bring to the Colts. with that, another guy that came up with was Grover Stewart. He said, did Chris Ballard, quote, great Colt, great teammate. I had said at the time, and I think I might have even asked you at the time, Matt, but I want you to tell me if there's any validity to this. Strangely enough, Grover Stewart, by league rules, having to set out six games, might have actually upped his price tag a little bit because I think it illuminated how important he is to that defense. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the numbers kind of bear that out. I mean, I don't have them in front of me, but, you know, in that six-game absence during his suspension, I mean, the Colts routinely gave up over, you know, 120 yards. The yards per carry average was well over four. It was probably flirting with more like five. And you allowed some some big plays. Um, you know, you kind of you weathered the storm within that stretch, you know, record-wise. 
Um, but yeah, not not being able to stop the run nearly as efficiently without Grover Stewart as compared to with him, you know, it, it's probably a feather in his cap. And you look at the last four games. Uh, I actually just looked it up this morning. I mean, the last four games, the Colts held three of the last four opponents under 100 yards rushing. That's when Grover was back and he kind of regained his form and got back into football shape and conditioning and all that stuff after missing a month and a half. Um, so yeah, I mean, listen, if if you're making a list of, of priority free agents, at least for me, speaking only for myself, it's probably Pittman. And then you could argue, you know, Julian Blackman, Grover Stewart in whatever order uh, because of what they mean to the leadership and just the, the overall health of this defense, right? If, if you're talking about the number one thing that every NFL defense has to do first and foremost, it's stop the run and don't give up big plays. And that's where both of those guys came in. It's Grover up front trying to, trying to stop the run. And it's Julian Blackman with his steadiness and his leadership in the back end trying to prevent the big plays in the pass game. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor is our guest. Brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Mate, he had mentioned the parallel Chris Bauer did of Anthony Richardson and the tough balance of wanting to keep him healthy while not bottling up what he does. And he drew parallels, rightfully so, because he experienced it to Andrew Luck. Do you see it kind of the same way? I know they're two different styles of quarterbacks, but in that same vein of sometimes they try to do too much, but you don't want to take away their instincts that make them special. Well, I think you just were, used the, the key word right there. It's instincts. You know, when, when things are going uh, a million miles an hour out there on the football field and the play breaks down, you want a guy. You, you drafted Anthony Richardson because of all that he can do athletically, right? So you don't want to take that away from him, and you want him to be able to use his instincts. And I think that this experience this year is going to – I think inevitably change his instincts, not not where it's it's turning him into a different player and you take away his ability to make plays with his feet and to be dynamic in the open field, but I think his instincts will he'll he'll be able to compartmentalize you know time and score and situation based on how he plays and i think that even though he's only 21 going into 2024 as a 22 year old i think he'll understand like if it's first and 10 and we call an rpo and i end up with the football in my hand it's okay to get 6 yards slide don't take a big hit right there because we're in favorable down and distance you know the balls you know, between the 20s, if you will, sort of in the middle of the field. I think he's going to have a better, you know, awareness of, of where he is and what time of the game it is, if that makes sense. But he also understands, like, if it's if it's third and four and i got to get a crucial first down here in the fourth quarter, or i got to get the in, in the end zone and we're in the red area and I just I have to put my, you know, shoulder and my body on the line and i got to run through a linebacker, so be it. Because that's what is asked of me in that situation. That's what I can do, and that's what's gotten me to where I am. You know, speaking if you're Anthony Richardson, right? His his playmaking ability, uh, his athleticism got him drafted fourth overall by the Colts, and you don't want to take away that ability because otherwise you might as well just play, you know, pocket passer Joe Blow. But you, you want Anthony Richardson to be as dynamic as possible but also as situational awareness as possible, if that makes sense, with his football IQ that I think has developed and grown because of all the time he's had to kind of sit and reflect on the way that he played in those first four games of the season. Matt, who did you feel was more comfortable talking today and just kind of more positive in their approach versus – 
hesitation they might have had about the year back at the beginning of the season? Anthony Richardson or Chris Ballard? Um, do you mean as in their their outlook and their optimism for next season? Yeah, I just felt kind of both of them, I guess. So, you know, to me it was almost a tie, but I guess what I'm getting at is I, w- I was – or where I was leading you was I did think that Anthony Richardson seemed like a much more just kind of comfortable and aware of the situation. Not that he wasn't comfortable and aware of the situation before. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that. But he just seemed like a guy that was – kind of had to let things slowly take place before him and was much more at ease with answering the questions about himself than he was at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's fair. I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, he's had – I mean, he got hurt, seems like, forever ago. I mean, it seems like this past season was like three different seasons, uh, you know, in and of itself. He had the, the training camp, the early part of the season with Richardson, and then the ups and downs the rest of the way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair to say that, that Richardson has had – I mean, he got, he got injured. I mean, he injured that shoulder in, what, mid-October, week five against Tennessee. And he's had a lot of time to be self-reflective of taking care of his body, but also he kind of used the word it, it, or the phrase, it was almost like a blessing in disguise to be able to kind of slow down. I mean, you're drafted fourth overall. You're just going a million miles an hour, right? You're moving from Gainesville to Indianapolis. You're moving your inner circle up here. You, you get thrown uh, an entirely different playbook. You know, all that goes with you know being the franchise quarterback and the face of a team and all the expectations from the marketing side of things and the football side of things. It was almost like a blessing in disguise to be able to kind of just slow down a little bit and just focus on the mental side of the game, really understand what he's looking at from a defensive perspective, coverages, be able to ask Shane Steichen questions where there's not the intense weekly game pressure of getting ready for an opponent. You can just really start to almost master the – Instead of just saying we run this because this is what we do against this look, it's almost like why do we do it? And understanding all of the components that go with, you know, offense and quarterback play. So I think it was really good from the mental side of things for uh, Anthony Richardson to be able to slow down, but also just kind of hit the pause button on life because so much was going on. And, um, you know, you could argue that C.J. Stroud's been able to deal with it, and and, and rightfully so. I think those two guys are really destined for greatness in this league, and they're going to have some epic battles within the AFC South. But I, I think it was good for Richardson only playing 13 games last year at Florida to be able to come in here. And, yeah, you would like to have him out there, right? You'd like to have him play 17 games, baptism by fire, just like C.J. Stroud. But the next best thing is to really focus on this playbook, this scheme, and your play caller and Shane Steichen and get to know each other on a more human element, which the last, you know, 13 games of the season allowed both sides to do. Matt, did you happen to see Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, before the Michigan National Championship game, Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy, like, meditating in the end zone? Did you happen to see photos or video of that? Uh, I had not not this past game, but, but I've seen, seen him do okay. it before. Yeah. So so I'm going to need you to do that right now. Are you in your office? Are you at home? Where are you right now? Are there people around? I'm I'm in the office. Okay. Yes. Let's, is the door closed? Yeah. Is the door closed? 
The door is closed. Okay, good. I don't. I don't want anybody to think you're weird here. So I need you to put your arms out to the side and close your eyes, and we're gonna go. We're, we're gonna go into a deep trance into the the mind, of Matt Taylor. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. I don't okay, know if so everybody I'm, else is ready. I'm, I'm speaking softly. And Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, I want you to think about next year around November time when you're getting ready for Thanksgiving. And the Colts have a game before the Thanksgiving holiday, and you're getting sleepy as you're listening to me, Matt. And and the Colts are up 31 to nothing in the third quarter. Anthony Richardson's had a fabulous game. So late in the game, Shane Steichen decides, and I asked Stephen Holder this question the other day. So he, he takes Anthony Richardson out of the game and puts in the Colts' primary backup quarterback to finish the game for them. <laughs> when you are meditating and seeing this vision before you, Matt, it is what quarterback that is going into the game? <laughs> oh man, uh, that's that's a that's a good lead up. I like that. It's uh-huh. a different approach. You know, K- kudos to the setup there. Um, I, I don't know. You're not really I, hypnotized, are you? I want to make yeah. sure for legal purposes. <laughs> yeah, right now I can't even stand up straight. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, listen. I mean, Gardner Minshew obviously is going to compa- command. I should say, um, you know, he's going to command more more of a look and certainly you know more money financially than than he did last off season. And Matt, because, I thought he earned that this year. Quite frankly, yeah. I mean, in, in totality, year- he earned it, right? Yeah, it's the year of the backup quarterback, and you know the, the Colts were, you know, essentially a, a playoff team with a guy that started what he was seven and five, I think, record-wise this year. So he started twelve games, but appeared in uh, every game but one because of Richardson's, you know, uh, health struggles there at the beginning of the season with, you know, concussions and things like that. Um, so yeah, he he's earned, uh, you know, uh, again the the chance to kind of sniff around a little bit and. You know, Minshew is a guy. He's competitive, just like everybody else. I mean, maybe more so than than your average, uh, you know, roster player because he's been a starter before. He's been a backup. He's proven that he can play at a high level and gives whatever team that he's on a chance to win every single week. And I think he's better than a backup quarterback, and I think that he believes he's better than a backup quarterback and wants a chance to go play and be a starter somewhere. And he's going to have to find the right opportunity for him in free agency if it comes to pass. Um, But he also has to keep in mind too that this is a really good situation for him and the Colts should be praising him for what he did this year balancing uh, you know giving the Colts a chance to be the starter competing for that opportunity in the offseason and during training camp uh, helping Anthony Richardson and his development and his maturity along the way so he's worn a lot of hats here and the Colts got every single penny out of Gardner Minshew this year, and, and then some. Uh, but he also has to understand that he's got a pretty good thing going here with Shane Steichen. Loves this offense, loves him as a guy, really good situation for him. So, you know, that's going to be fascinating. I, I don't know if he comes back next year, but I do know if he does return, obviously it's going to be at a higher price tag than whatever it was, $3.5 million this past season for a one-year contract. Will they be tempted, Matt, in the Colts? And, and I don't even know that this guy exists, but – was there enough deviation from what the playbook would be with Gardner Minshew versus what the playbook was with Anthony Richardson, knowing that Richardson and anticipating that he is going to have a full season here, would it behoove the Colts to find a backup quarterback that does play a style that is more similar to Richardson so that there's not a deviation of playbook in case you got to make a change? Yeah, well, I I don't think they're really – I mean, I – 
that's probably a better question for Shane, to be honest with you. But just from from what I could tell, I mean, it was the same system. It was the same, obviously, it was the same verbiage and um, you know the same nomenclature, if you will, playbook wise. But you're just you're obviously not calling the same plays for uh, for Minshew that you would be for Anthony Richardson. Way less quarterback runs, way less RPO or excuse, excuse me, not RPOs, but uh, read zone, uh, read option stuff. Um, so. I don't know. I think that that was probably it, – it's probably more subtle than we think in terms of just the, the drastic nature of, of play calling between Richardson and um, and Minshew. But there's no question that one guy can do you know way more with the football than the other guy in terms of being dynamic run versus pass. Um, so that's a really good question, and I don't think that's – that's off the table for the Colts to explore, you know, a backup quarterback that has similar traits to Anthony Richardson. I mean, obviously, I think there's only one Anthony Richardson based on the combine testing um, and just how fast and dynamic he is. But to maybe bring in a quarterback that can be a threat um, in the read zone, read option game, just like Anthony Richardson, if if something should happen to him next year in terms of health, then you can still put the pressure on defenses with a healthy Jonathan Taylor, hypothetically, by being able to do the same things with a backup quarterback. Voice the Colts, Matt Taylor is our guest, brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, when you look at the press conference, there were a number of times that Chris Boward glowingly spoke on first-year head coach Shane Steichen, rightfully so, given where the expectations were, given kind of where the roster was at times, losing Anthony Richardson. you got to tip your cap to Steichen. Ballard did that. When you look in your mind at the first-year campaign of Shane Steichen, what do you remember most, and where do you see either promise or areas to build off of in year two? Just how smart he is, you know, just how, you know, I think Chris brought it up today and he kind of took the words out of my mouth when I think about Chris, you know, when he, his recall, you know, when he's able to kind of reflect on the game, offense, defense, and special teams, his recall is phenomenal. I mean, he comes in here every Monday night and he does this interview with us on Colts Roundtable Live. And before and after the interview, you know, off the record, we just sit here and talk ball. And he'll say at the 13, 19 minute mark of the third quarter, you know, we had the over look and I'm like how do you remember this stuff but he remembers every play in sequence and he remembers his thought process to get to um, to to where he dialed up the play that he did um, so he's just brilliant he's got a lot on his plate he manages obviously the play calling the overall offensive strategy but also the in-game management stuff dealing with all the analytics in real time when to challenge when to take timeouts um, so he just really impressed me all season long and I think he just got better as the season progressed at that. Um, and then, and again, I know it's been water cooler conversation. I know you guys have talked about it earlier in the week. You're probably done with it now. But, I mean, that's why I had no problem with the fourth and one call because it schemed up perfectly. It just wasn't executed. It was a drop pass. So I got no problem with it. If the, if the Colts – if Tyler Goodson catches that ball, you know, Shane Steichen's a genius instead of everybody saying, well, what the heck's he doing? Um, you know, he's, it's, it's really promising, I think, going forward with his ability to sort of out-scheme and outsmart the opposition because of just how, how much of a football high, football IQ that he has. Um, so it's, it's really exciting going forward considering, and I think Chris talked about it today, just where you were today at the end of the season press conference compared to at the end of 2022 when – 
You only won four games. You didn't know who was coming back. You didn't have a quarterback. You didn't have a coach. You got all of those things now, and essentially you made the playoffs by being one game away. So, again, there's a lot of optimism, and there's a lot to look forward to. Uh, Matt, the good news, I just texted Lara Overton, by the way. I want to uh, forewarn you. She's going to come in and slap you real hard in about 10 minutes. Make sure you're out of your hypnosis and safe to drive home. Okay, I just want to make sure. Well, so, that's a daily occurrence. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That just gives her more reason. Uh, okay, let me ask you this. You're playing Jeopardy, right? And the category, you're like, oh, man, I- I'm going to clean house here because the category is NFL teams Achilles. And it literally, and the thing pops up, you know, and, and it's, you know, 85 bears, and you just have to, you know, what is <laughs> consistent quarterback play? You know, yeah, so right. you're doing that, and boom, you hit it. 2023 Colts, your answer in the form of a question, please. Uh, in the form of a question, all right. Um, why why couldn't why couldn't the Colts slow down top playmakers, uh, top opposing playmakers? I don't did, I don't know if that's any okay. Good so not, that, so what is probably secondary play? Would that be the area that you would say was their biggest Achilles, or just again, big play limitation? There you go. I mean, I, Stephon Gilmore, Isaiah Rodgers, Brandon Faison, um, no Juju Brents for a lot of the season, uh, Darius Rush not working out at the end of training camp. I mean, all of these things factored into having a very young secondary that was tested, and there was a lot of ups and downs. Um, but, you know, we, we, we know that Gus Bradley is, is coming back for, for next season. We found that out today for uh, from, from Chris Ballard. Um, it's It's – you know, Chris was pretty blunt. You know, we, we got to figure out a way to get the point total down on defense. They were 28th in points, giving, about, giving up, I should say, over 24 a game. Got to uh, limit the explosive plays, specifically in the passing game, allowed. Um, there was some positive moments, but I think if you just, you know, if you're – if if we're stuck in the elevator and you want the elevator pitch from the nine and eight Colts from 2023, it was, you know, the other team's top playmakers um, routinely having big games against the Colts, and we saw that last Saturday. Again, I, I have no problem with the fourth and one catch the ball, right? But your your bigger problem is is that you had one guy, you had one guy you knew you had to stop. And, and no disrespect to those other players, right? I mean, Johnny Johnson's a practice squad player. John Mechie's got like 15 catches. Uh, Xavier uh, Hutchinson is a, a day three, six-round pick rookie. I mean, God bless those guys. I hope they have great careers. But you knew you had to stop one guy, and that was Nico Collins. And he single-handedly, in my opinion, won them that game with 195 receiving yards. So secondary-wise, that's that's probably – you know, the Achilles heel of this team, you know, for 2023. Matt, get a hot coffee because it's cold outside and you got to wake up after your hypnosis for the drive home. But we appreciate the time <laughs> as always, man. Yep. No, my pleasure. Always good to be with you guys. And you got my number. So all off season long, I'm here for you. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Man, it's been a busy, flurry day uh, of activity here not only in Indianapolis, but obviously in the world of sports, a ton to talk about that we haven't gotten to, and we'll get to all of that next year. And then again, 3 o'clock today in Fisher's Parks Place Pub is where JMV is going to be. We'll throw it out to him in 30. You know that Corbin fellow was... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you in here he's got a size 15 shoe right 
It's incredible. He's also got like the voice from the Earth's core. Totally. Like I told him, I, he, you know, he's walking around wearing Crocs because it's the only thing he can find in a size 15. And I told him, I was like, if I, if I had a 15 shoe, I'd just, I'd probably have it on my business card. Just pass it around, go out to the singles bars and drop it. I'm sorry. I, did I drop that? I can pick it up with my size 15 shoe if you'd like. The only thing you need on that card. That's it. Totally. No question about it. Uh, a lot going on in the world of sports besides just the Colts that we've been talking about today, Jimmy. You got uh, Bill Belichick. You've got, for those that don't know, by the way, out in New England. You've got Nick Saban yesterday announcing his retirement in Alabama. You've got every football coach on the sun being linked to the Alabama job. Poor Pete Carroll. Uh, Pete Carroll also. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll's like Farrah Fawcett. Correct. Yes. I heard that brought up on another Did show you really? Yes. Yep. It's virtually the same Correct. thing. When yep. Farrah Fawcett passed away and then like three hours later, Michael Jackson passes away and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. That's kind of what happened with Pete Carroll, right? Yep. But then you got NBA news as well, right, Jimmy? Yeah, plenty of NBA news. Joining us now on the program is Evan Sidery, covers the NBA at large for Forbes Sports. And the rumor mill continues to swirl in the Pascal Siakam sweepstakes. Evan, thanks as always for joining us and jumping right into it. You've linked and have seen over the rumor mill and over the reports that the Pacers might be an interested suitor in Pascal Siakam. Before we dive into that, just broad picture with the Raptors at this point. What is the league consensus for what they're looking for in terms of young players versus draft picks versus a combination of the two? Yeah, thanks again for having me on. Really appreciate it. And looking at what the Raptors are looking for based on various reports, whether it be Adrian Wojnarowski, Sham Sharani, they're all mentioning the same sort of thing here. The Raptors are prioritizing young players with a lot of upside over potential draft picks, which makes sense for them. They have a good young core now after getting Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Barrett as well in the OG Ananobi trade. They have Scotty Barnes as their face of the franchise moving forward. I think add another one or two young guys in the mix there. I think that could be a really promising young core for them moving forward. And if they do get draft picks on top of that, that's a gravy. That's a, that's a bonus on top of that, I would say. So I would definitely say, in my opinion, probably go for younger players, maybe a draft pick or two on top of that. But with Pascal Siakam being an expiring contract, kind of the the Raptors are a little bit of a downplay here because they're not they don't have all the leverage here. He's a, they only got a couple month rental if he doesn't want to sign with the place he goes to. So Indiana, Evan, you know, obviously Tyrese Halliburton's the face of the franchise here. He's locked in. He's not going anywhere. But the young pieces that they have, which of those young pieces for Indiana would be the most coveted outside of the Pacers organization, or is even a Buddy Heald a guy that still carries some value on the market? I would certainly say, Jake, between probably the two best young players on the Pacers roster, that especially the Raptors have been inquiring about in these talks of Pascal Siakam are Benedict Matherin and Jairus Walker, whether it be both or one of them. Both those guys hold the highest amount of upside, the highest amount of value. The Pacers can get back in a trade for a star little player like Pascal Siakam. Maybe Andrew Nemhart can throw into that mix as well, but certainly it'd be Matherin and Jairus Walker. There was a report yesterday from Adrian Wojnarowski saying that Jairus Walker is not in discussions for the Pacers and he talks to the Raptors, so that's a good sign, I think, that the Pacers are holding their ground in that aspect. I imagine Bennett and Matherin would be the same thing there. I, I just think with having no, no reassurance from Pascal Siakam that he will sign a long-term extension with the Pacers, I can only envision a doomsday scenario where they let go of one of Matherin or Jairus Walker and Pascal Siakam comes here and it doesn't go well for a few months and decides to walk in free agency. So that would be just a, an awful scenario to envision there. And I think from the Pacers' point of view, without any assurance from Pascal Siakam, I doubt they're going to be throwing that much on the table. Do you think they are still – you know, Evan, I go back to, and I had made this comment the other day on the radio. I, I, 
I remember when the Pacers had in in '86 they drafted Chuck Person. He was the rookie of the year. He he was a great player and a great shooter for them. And then they draft Reggie in '87, and by they go into the playoffs like in '91. 89 or it was either 89 or 91 they went to the playoffs against Boston and Chuck Person was clearly their guy but it was very clear that Reggie Miller was rising and that they were going to have to make a decision on which of the two they went with obviously they went with Reggie Miller and they flipped Chuck Person into Michael Williams and, and a point guard but having said all of that it feels to me a little bit like Halliburton and Matherin I'm not saying they can't coexist but that they're still trying to wade through whether or not they coexist or, in fact, they've already made their decision and the other one then becomes expendable. Do you think they have reached a conclusion on what Benedict Matherin's role is alongside Halliburton or have they are they still waiting to see if the two can coexist within on the floor? Yeah, that's a really good question. Honestly, I don't think they know the answer just yet. And I've been in the camp since last year. that I think they should have been starting Bennett and Mathrick from the get-go last season as your number six overall pick, getting them as much reps, as much minutes alongside Tyrese Halliburton as possible. But last season, the numbers weren't great for those guys to get on the court, and the defense wasn't great either. But having Bennett and Mathrick now sliding to that six-man role, he's not seeing a lot of minutes alongside Terry Halliburton this year either, which makes you beg the question exactly when they'll get that opportunity. And that injury happening for Tyrese was very unfortunate because I imagine it would have been happening sometime very soon here. But if they don't see Benedict Mathern more as just a microwave score and give you 20 points for off the bench, I don't know if that's exactly the kind of guy that fits long-term with Tyrese Halliburton because you need defense, you need shooting, you need all those versatility kind of aspects around Tyrese Halliburton more so than just another score. Because we've seen already so far this year Tyrese Halliburton, when he's healthy, this Pacers team is a top three, top two offense in the NBA with not a lot of talent around him. So I think if you go out and get a legit star level player in a Siakam, whether it be someone else later this summer, I think this Pacers team can be very, very good immediately. But I think with Benedict Matherin, I'm still in the camp of him that he has a very high upside. I think he definitely does. He's improved a little bit this year in playmaking and defense, but it's still a lot of question marks, more so than firm answers. And I think for entering into his third season next, next season, Jake, I do wonder – when that calling card's going to be for the Pacers to decide on Matherin and Halliburton's at that core of the future. Evan Sidery covers the Pacers for Forbes Sports. Evan, ignoring the important caveat that you've already highlighted, which is if you trade for Siakam, you're risking whether or not he's going to sign long-term. Let's say that there's reports that come out, which aren't there yet, but let's say reports arrive that Siakam is willing to sign a long-term extension. He's going to be 30 in April, when you look at him and his profile, is he on the right timeline with Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers? Yeah, that's, that's another good question there. And I honestly think there's positives and negatives to the aspect of acquiring Pascal Siakam. In the short term, over the next two to three years, they'd be a very, very good basketball team. But the last year or two of that contract, he's going to be making $52 million a year annually. And that's so much money to put into him and Tyrese Halliburton. $100-plus million a year between those two players and a couple of years of that were to happen. And I do wonder if Siakam really is on the exact same timeline as Halliburton and Aaron Neesmith and all these other young guys that are in the fold here because Siakam's more of a, a timeline fit next to Miles Turner. And that might be more of the interesting equation. If Miles is a long-term piece, Siakam really does fit that timeline from the aspect of him and Miles Turner to be a great front court rotation to help out Tyrese Halliburton and the rest of the young core moving forward in the next couple of years. But from the Pacers' perspective, is this team good enough to push in those chips and say, Let's go for it in the next two or three years with Pascal Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton. Make some noise because you make an Eastern Conference Finals run if all goes well. I just don't know if this is the right player and the right time for it to happen because 
Masai Ujiri, the Raptors GM, is very hell-bent on getting at least a very good young player in return for Pascal Siakam, and I just don't think the Pacers are willing to do that. And I also don't know if Siakam, like, again, over the last couple years of that contract, making that much money, if he's going to be an albatross contract at that point, and if he's really fallen off athletically in his shot, and his shot's been very inconsistent so far this season, and he's really mainly built around athleticism. That's it's in Siakam's game. And you have to wonder at 33, 34, 35 years old, will Siakam still be that player? And it'll be a lot of a lot of banking on Tyrese Halliburton really becoming a, a top five, top six player in the NBA for that to really be a positive answer. Evan Sider is our guest talking about Pascal Siakam and the Pacers that's been linked for a long time. Um, you know, here's my question, Evan, is, is Siakam this guaranteed great fit would be great for the Pacers guy, or at some point have we fallen in love with the prospect of it because it's been rumored and linked for so long? Yeah, I think with Siakam, I know the potential going to Jairus Walker for a moment. A lot of people were comparing Jairus Walker in the pre-draft process to a Pascal Siakam type player. He can play, he can play make, he's a great defender, he's very athletic. It's more so, do you think Jairus Walker can be a Pascal Siakam type of player in a couple of years to not take the risk here? Because I think Pascal Siakam, if you throw him into this current offense for the Pacers, he'd be fantastic. He'd far and away be their second best player. He can give you probably 25 points per game, four or five assists per game, probably be your best perimeter defender on top of that with Aaron Neesmith. In the short term, the next one or two years, he'd be fantastic here. I think that's no doubt about that. I think he'd definitely elevate this team to a level of being a top four, top five team in the Eastern Conference. But with Siakam, I think the long-term questions really, to me, are starting to outweigh the short-term positives of this, where maybe you see a disgruntled star in the future come available. It's more in the timeline of the Pacers' age of 25, 26 years old. But a lot of those guys don't become available. So it's kind of just weighing from the Pacers' perspective, is Pascal Siakam worth it at this price, at this moment? And Tyrese Halliburton is going to play a role in that, too, because Tyrese Halliburton wants to win. He wants to win immediately. And I think if he wants Pascal Siakam, I think they'll make that happen. So I think it's going to be... Very interested to see what happens the next couple weeks here. But I think Pascal Siakam currently within this offense and this team, I think they'd be a very, very good team. And immediately upgrade from the Jalen Smith spot before pretty drastically. So, Evan, I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of shed light for our listeners on this. Uh, I, I think it was probably, and and look, the years go by to me real fast. But So I'm going to say 12 years ago, total guess. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you came in a couple of times and shadowed a radio show that I was doing. Um, mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but at that time you were oddly a fan of like some weird Western Kentucky school or something like that. Am I right in that? You were a Moorhead State fan or something like that? Murray State? Am I right? Um, no, I was more of uh, just a local fan, really. But yes, I actually graduated high school early to come join you and Derek over at that station. So okay. uh, I believe I was one of your last interns actually over at that. At I just that remember station. asking you where you were going to college. And at that time you were contemplating a couple of different schools, but, but my point being this, for those that don't know, you are a guy that is locally rooted. I think you've turned into and become and developed for yourself. Probably one of the five more trusted or reputable NBA sources in terms of understanding trades, rosters, things like that. Um, so for those that hear you on the airwaves but don't realize your local roots, tell us how you ended up in the position that you're in now. Yeah, so going back, I grew up in Westville, Indiana. I went to Westville High School. I actually went out to school in Arizona after actually interning with you for that while. I went to Arizona State University, and I was actually just came back to Indiana this time last year. So I was out covering the Phoenix Suns for seven years, and from that, I actually had an opportunity two years ago with a former website that shut down recently 
to be a national NBA reporter that allowed me to really rub shoulders with guys like Adrian Wojnarowski and Sean Sharania at different events and really have them as mentors and guiders and having those guys trust me over time. And that's what journalism kind of is, is having people trust you over time and developing those sources. And locally, I'm in the opportunity I am now to kind of play that role a little more and take that more as a full-time opportunity. So it's really cool to think about how I actually moved back here this time last year, and now I'm back in Indiana and kind of talking to you on the show and JMV. It's it's very cool to think about from that perspective. But growing up and kind of my whole life, I wanted to be a sports journalist. And I knew kind of early on I was going to be as athletic as I wanted to be to be an NBA or an NFL player. So I kind of pivoted what I could, what I could do, stay in the sports field. I love writing. I love journalism. And that's kind of where it spawned to. And now where I'm at today, I'm very, very grateful for that. Did I call you Jimmy when you were an intern? Because I used to – like I'd get confused <laughs> with names and I'd, I'd, I'd say Jimmy. That was my – like like Jimmy Olsen type thing. I didn't call you Jimmy, did I? I don't think so. No, I, maybe maybe one or two times on occasion, but no, we we were on we were good terms. <laughs> okay, just want to make sure. Um, okay, so trade deadline coming up. Let me ask you this last question then: uh, If Indiana's going to get involved in stuff beyond Siakam, would it be more so you think that Kevin Pritchard's making phone calls, or more so that actually his phone's ringing because Indiana's got some pieces that are of interest to people? Yeah, there's one player I would have said, and multiple reports said that the Pacers were finalists with the Knicks for OG Ananobi. I think, truthfully, that was the number one target this whole time, spanning last year, was OG Ananobi. Just fits this timeline perfectly. Fits the offense and defense. Now with him in New York, I think the Pacers are going to be calling around asking for wing help, and that's an obvious question or obvious answer for a lot of teams within the NBA. But the Pacers really need more size. They need more athleticism. They need really a lot of versatility at that wing spot. And if you can go and add. A guy, let's say like a Royce O'Neal from the Brooklyn Nets. He only makes $8 million a year. He's an older veteran type player. But the Pacers have about $7, $8 million in cash space. So they want to offer, let's say, that extra first-round pick they had, plus like a Jordan Wara for a, a legitimate veteran like a Royce O'Neal or a Dorian Finney-Smith with the Nets as well. I think those are the kind of deals you look out for if they don't make a superstar swing for a Pascal Siakam. Probably more a move on the margins to really upgrade their wing depth and go for a, a more cheaper veteran option. So I would definitely say the pace will be more more buyers than sellers. I'd be very surprised if they'd go out and make a, a big deal more in the selling category. The NBA trade deadline four weeks from today. Evan Sidery, you can find his work at eSidery on Twitter with Forbes Sports. Evan, appreciate you as always. No doubt we'll talk to you as we get closer to the deadline. Yeah, Jimmy, Jake, thanks so much for the invite. Really appreciate it. <laughs> you know, I used to call everybody Jimmy, Jimmy. So that was like Jimmy, Jimmy, Jake right there. You had a fail-safe in those early months. I was so jealous. That's right. That's Kept right. I did. John. It was, it was very just weird. a habit, yeah. right? Um, I didn't mean to say that you're an intern. I just used to call interns when Correct. I was at 1260. I'd call him Jimmy. It became a nickname. There's one guy actually that came back one time, and he's like, you remember me? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm Jimmy. I'm like, well, you can tell me your real name. That's cool. <laughs> Uh, by the way, we have tickets to give away. We'll do it right now. Golf Expo, Indiana State Fairgrounds. That's next weekend, January 19th through the 21st. We have a pair of tickets to give away for the Golf Expo at the Fairgrounds. Again, January 19th through the 21st. That is next weekend. We have one more pair to give away. Is that right, Eddie? We have one today and then two pairs tomorrow. 239-1070, the telephone number. We'll get Jimmy's picks. Not intern Jimmy, but actual Jimmy's picks next. The Jay Cook plays. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. ...of the day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my 
way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day. Couple matchups in the I've NBA. I got two to one that your promo from yesterday is going to run again today. <laughs> do I cash in? You where do I, where um, do I do that? Robin the Genie is who you need to go to to cash in for that particular that prediction. Uh, today's plays of the day will take the Milwaukee Bucks to win on the money line over the Boston Celtics. That game in Milwaukee. And Jake, just for you, give me Hawaii on the money line over UC Irvine. That taking place at 12 a.m. this evening. Eddie, anything from you? No action for me today. All right. Are you going to be up watching that Hawaii game? By the way, I do watch Hawaii. Not this particular them. instance. No, I'm not going to stay up to watch Eddie. Hawaii. You've, you've stayed up to... Is it just because they're yes. on late? Yeah. If I'm, if I'm up and I can't sleep, I will watch Hawaii. I'll be honest with you. The on, only on, time I ever watch Hawaii is if I'm in conference tournament lock-in I, I mode. I was going to say, that feels like then. December tournament written all over it, right? Correct. Yep. So where do you watch... Hawaii basketball. ESPN Plus. Okay. Go to the worldwide leader. You're all good. And they are in, are they in the Mountain West? What are they in, the WAC? I think so. They've got to be in the WAC, right? I, I've always felt like if, if you played there, it would be really tough because just the road trips in general, right? I mean, th- like, I think they're a player. You know what? When I flew to, when we went to Amsterdam, uh, and, this is this is your guys' assignment, by the way. I meant to tell you this. When we flew to Amsterdam, uh, we met this other couple that was super cool, really nice people, and they were on their way to Frankfurt to see the Dolphins play. They were Dolphins fans, and they were we were flying out of Philly, so I can't remember where they said they lived. But he told me that he had played college football at Hawaii and then transferred from there to um, Ole Miss, but he began in Hawaii before transferring to Ole Miss like 15 years ago, a linebacker. So if you can find a linebacker that started in Hawaii and transferred to Ole Miss, somebody let me know who that would be. Probably, this guy was probably like late 30s, early 40s. But at any rate, when I, we were talking about Hawaii because he played for June Jones. So whenever his last year at Hawaii was June Jones last year. And he was telling me, he's like, oh man, like I thought it would be so awesome to go and play there. And it was great. He goes, but first off, the facilities were terrible. They had, they put no money into it. And then the road trips were just awful because it was a like an eight-hour flight almost everywhere you went, one way. Big West Conference right now for basketball. Big West? Yep. How many schools can we name in the Big West Conference? You ready? You got it in front of you? I don't. Now I do. Okay. Weber State? Are they in the Big West? No. Pacific? No. Okay, give me the Big West Conference. Uh, Cal State Bakersfield, Cal Poly, Cal State Fullerton, Cal State Northridge, Hawaii, Cal State Long Beach. So this is the Cal Conference. And basically the entire, uh, UC Santa Barbara, UC San Diego, UC Riverside, UC Irvine. It's basically California state schools and Hawaii. That's basically the really? makeup of the Big West. You know UC Irvine, you know their mascot, don't you? The Anteaters, right? Yes. When I went to their, um, my friend Claire Hawkman, my lifelong friend, her father, Steve Hawkman, who's a great guy. Steve Hawkman, when he was a young kid, went to a zoo and saw an anteater that was like old and emaciated, and he felt so sorry for it that it began a lifelong obsession with anteaters. So when we were at IndyCar a couple of years ago for a race, we had downtime, and I was like, I'm going to go to UC Irvine and go to the bookstore and buy Steve Hawkman some anteater gear. The entire bookstore is decked out in anteater stuff, and including they had like a $600 like six foot tall stuffed anteater and i was so close i i kid you not if i would have driven there and not had to fly back 
I, that bad boy was going right in the car and I was bringing it home. It was awesome. Man, I would have loved you on a commercial flight just with that in your lap. No, can you imagine? <laughs> that had been so awesome. It was really, really cool. The anteater thing. You could have hit somebody that was trying to run to the front of the plane. That's right. The anteater. I'm telling you, the anteater thing was awesome. And I, But I did buy an anteater t-shirt for what that's worth, right? Did that survive the purge? Uh, it did survive the the great purge, the great right, cleanup good. purge. I'm getting ready to go on another purge. You guys want some stuff? I'm Maybe. gonna I'm gonna start cleaning stuff out again. Maybe I can bring in like like I told you. I mean, I've probably got another round of <laughs> IndyCar stuff that's the sponsors outdated, and so therefore we can you know I can get you all that. Okay, what do we got going on tonight? In terms of just the evening festivities. Correct. What are you watching? Of, what are you looking for? Uh, I'll watch a little bit of the NBA tonight. A little disappointed. Uh, NBA's over in France right now. I believe it's Brooklyn and Cleveland, and it's ongoing currently. So I wish that would have been, I get it, time difference was after the show, but plenty of content here. Re- reassess Chris Ballard's comments and get ready for Super Wildcard Weekend, honestly. The NBA was like, we're going to send the league over to France to become the talk of all of sports. And then like, as everybody was over on the flight, it's like, <laughs> by the way, Nick Saban, Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, all out. And right? it's not even the Spurs. Oh, I know what we're doing tonight. Yeah, yeah you're right. How Spurs. do you not have Wimbiyama over there, Wimbiyama over there playing, right? I, I, I realize what we're doing tonight. I forgot about this. Uh, Hawaii watch party at Jake's. That's what I heard. I don't know. That's right. Yep, we're late. all playing Rocket League. <laughs> late night. Late night. No, I got an early morning tomorrow, actually. I've got to do some stuff over the Speedway early in the morning. So, right. uh, Eddie, I'm going to rely on you right here with your brilliant eyes. Are we over now, or are we still 40 seconds away? 40. We still got 40 seconds to kill? Well, what do you want to talk about, Jimmy? I mean, what do you want to do? I'm kidding. Uh, folks, you have a chance to get up to Park's Place, by the way, in Fishers, 116th. JMV will be there. I'm sure he'll be talking a lot about what we did today, which was playing for you the Chris Ballard press conference. A um, lot of interesting comments from Chris Ballard. Anthony Richardson talked earlier today as well. Rick Venturi at 430. Rick Venturi at 430 will be breaking down for John everything that Chris Ballard had to say in terms of taking a look back at the Colts season as we then start to turn the page towards what happened this season and we start our look forward towards what can be done for next year. So again, Rick Venturi, 430, JMV next. We'll talk to you at noon tomorrow.